kid you not. It's the guy is sitting on TV, and I think it was Pat Roberts and son. Sometimes he hosts it, and he said, and he was like towards the end of their program, and he's having he's having this prayer, and he's like, I have a word of knowledge. Somebody's watching TV, and he described. He said, "You've slipped on the ice, busted, you damaged your no. knee. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very to the T. And you dam- wow. damage your knee, and your your surgery. I don't want to believe that surgery was not successful. I don't want to believe that right now. I don't know why." <laughs> McCain died. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess Trump's getting uh some flack because the the uh, white the flag at the White House is already raised to full mast. Oh, he so he it's got flack. He got flack because it was he wouldn't lower it reportedly, or he it wasn't lowered. It on an appropriate level, right? Like he didn't yeah, he didn't lower it in time, and then he lowered it, and then he already raised it. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> it's like if you, yeah. <laughs> he is. I'm laughing. It's not. It's funny. It's not funny. It's darkly funny. Okay. It's. I'll just say it. it's funny. He, he. He has got people so distracted. Anyways, enough about Trump. John McCain, man. Yeah, what was his nickname? I, I hope he's getting some. He's getting the Maverick. Oh yeah, the Maverick. Loved by mainstream media, mostly because he wasn't afraid to go against the grain of Republicans sometimes. But he's loved by all in mainstream politic, in that he never saw a country he didn't want to bomb. May he rest in peace. <laughs> Wow. Wow. No, I, I mean, no, not no. Yes. Where's that button? Caveats. <laughs> That's another favorite one. No caveats. <laughs> he is resting in peace, getting big, fat, 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 copious amounts of rest in peace. No, not rest in peace. I'm distracted by technical difficulties. Copious amounts of bless your heart. Mr. McCain hmm. in heaven. Bless hmm. your heart, brother. You tried. You had your template. And now you see how far off you were. Bless your heart. Hmm. I think we all get one of those. For, for various It's complete things. speculation, Scott. Just go with me. I'm saying for various things. Okay. I'll take it for various things. Yeah. Um. Next item. I don't know. I just All right. He died. He served. He served. Oh, he did okay, his no. time and now he's gone. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I think he had a full life. He did. Um you know, being in that staying at the four star, five star Hanoi Hilton. Oh, speaking of um Yeah. That was crazy. So what was he a pilot? He was, a, he was, got shot down, didn't 
Trump say something about he liked his war heroes not that didn't get caught? <laughs> something like that. My paraphrase. He's so, so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he likes war heroes that don't get shot down and get caught. <laughs> he's <laughs> Trump is he's he's like a child. It's so well, why did he do that? <laughs> it's so funny if it wasn't potentially <laughs> deadly for people. <laughs> if he wasn't like the president of, you know, yeah. I don't know, the United States. If he was a wrestler again, <laughs> it's perfect. He just carries those skills over. Ah, we are waiting for Jamal Javanji to arrive. I'm stuck in that L.A. southbound traffic. Oh, good grief. He of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, also his own podcast, The Love Cast. And he has, uh, I think he has a book on the way. And he has one book already out called Free to Love. So, a couple comments on the Facebook post. Of the Bonnie Christian episode, episode 90 of Flexible Faith, um, Jeff Schaefer said, definitely getting her book. And Patrick Joy Dyer said, awesome podcast, book is ordered. You're welcome, Bonnie. That's two. Two. I think we're responsible for like seven. Something like that. Our, our small group dude drinking club slash theology arguing event. We got it. We're going to go through it. Yeah, thanks, guys, for listening. And then on Facebook, Joe Zaragoza. This is Joe Zaragoza. Uh, said, great episode, guys. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Did he rate? I don't know if he's given us a rating, but he does have his own podcast. I'll give you a plug, Joe. Wait, uh, if he didn't rate, why are we going to plug his podcast? Well, he might have. They put in moniker. Joe, how about do me a favor? Leave us, I'm going to plug your podcast right now. You leave a rate and review on on Apple Podcasts, and uh, we have to discuss this as a group. We probably should go ahead though. Go ahead, Jeff's but his here. podcast is called Drinking at Bible Study, and unlike us, I think they actually go through the Bible. So check that out. And we did get we got like four new five stars on oh, nice. Apple I, uh, Apple iPods casts um, words. That by podcast, I could do that or this one. Double exclamation! Man, you're on a roll. All right, iTunes review by P L Dyer D Y E R. I said awesome, five stars. Thank you. Awesome podcast content is excellent. Short, pithy, to the point. Thank you. So leave us your five star reviews. Thus has been feedback for thus. All right. Well, we really, really we'll appreciate that. And we'll uh, welcome in Jamal Javanji in two and two. Are you echoing? Am I echoing? Yeah, seems like an echo. Not in my ears. <laughs> Here, guys. Jamal, it's his first time podcasting. Yeah. So... <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Tell me about Jamal. I know mm. I've just heard little snippets based on you talking about it a little bit on Heretic Happy Hour, but you've had an interesting journey getting to where you're at now. 
um, which we'll get to. And I'm sure you're working on a book right now. You're almost done with the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is that, are you able to talk about that eventually? Or is that yeah, still secret? Yeah, you can share some snippets yeah. Yeah, about it. Yeah. I heard it was super secret. Oh, it's just kind of messing with that. Not, yeah. not really. <laughs> you're just building anticipation. Yeah. 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 yeah so w- where did you grow up? How did you grow up? How was that like? Yeah. Well, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. So I grew up in the mid, what's considered the Midwest. Um, yeah. Uh, Let's see, my mom is uh, was a devout, is a devout Catholic, Roman Catholic. My dad was devout Shiite Muslim. And was? So, was, yeah, he converted to Catholicism, which I was a huge thing. I never thought I would see happen. But Before they got married or after? No, 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 he just in the last 15 years, maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, so no, they, they both got married. My dad grew up, he's actually uh, heritage-wise from India, but he grew up in East Africa because... A little island called Zanzibar, which is part of Tanzania. But at the time, it was British. You know, India was a British colony. M- much of East Africa was British. So his great-grandfather migrated to Zanzibar um, for business reasons, you know, 150 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then there's just a lot of Indians that live in East Africa. So that's where he grew up. Um, they had a revolution when he was in his, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s, something like that. They had a revolution on the island, um, so they became independent from England. They were annexed forcibly by Tanzania. There was a lot of racial backlash. Uh, the main the folks from the mainland, um, uh, the blacks, had were kind of the you know had the the bottom end of the economic spectrum under colonial rule. Mm-hmm. Indians had it slightly better. So Zanzibar had been populated by Arabs and Indians. And so there was a lot of racial backlash. A lot of people died. So my my dad's family felt like they had to leave. They went to Kenya. He lived in Kenya wow. for a while. He became started writing to my mom through they both belong to this international organization they'd be her pen pals my mom grew up in ohio uh, lived wow. on a farm and so they write, wrote to each other for about six years he was kind of destitute he didn't have any prospects he was not a citizen of kenya couldn't go back to his home country tanzania because kind of that country was formed formed through the merge of the of zanzibar and you know, tanzania and his whole political but he was like a man with no country so he decided he would propose <laughs> to her in a letter she accepted Wow. wow. And that's how he came to the United States eventually. And Do they have the letter still? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just recently saw some of them. Wow. Re- and uh, I was, it's uh, like I was like, seeing a whole other angle. Like, dad. Yeah. Really? <laughs> it's exactly. I was like, wait a minute. I've never heard my dad talk like this. <laughs> it was pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. So they grew, they, but they agreed to disagree on matters of faith. They were very devout. My mom was actually going to be a nun. Uh, wow. and, and, and she was rejected. The This priest, uh, yes, you have to have a priest's backing to become a nun. And the priest just, he felt, he's like, I don't think, no other, no real reason. He just said, I just don't think you've thought about this. I don't, I don't personally feel like you're ready for this kind of a life. And she was devastated. And so, so my dad proposed shortly after that. She said, why not? You know, mm. so that's, but they, my dad was typically wouldn't marry someone outside you know, my, my grandparents are first cousins. So typically people, they, my dad's side, they, they married within the family. It was arranged marriages. Interesting. Uh, typically wouldn't marry outside of your faith. But for my dad, he was bucking all of that because his, his he was, he felt very desperate, hmm. uh, just financially, not, not a lot of prospects. So that's why he, and they both agreed to disagree when it comes to f- matters of faith. Like he knew, they both knew that they're both very committed to their faith, but so when, would they talk about it at all? Or oh yeah, this, it was just like I'm not. We'll talk about it, but I, we're not going to try to convert each other, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. 
They both, you know, let each other be. But the, really where the conflict began is, you know, my, I have an older brother. So my brother and my, myself came around. That's when they started to have conflict because they, they both came in with expectations that they didn't communicate. So for my dad, he's like, it's my duty as a Muslim to raise my, especially if sons, they have to be Muslim. It wasn't even a question. Mm-hmm. So my mom was like, what? Like, no, they live in the United States. I'm Catholic. They're going to get, they're going to be Catholics. <laughs> there's an assumption. Yeah. And of course there's a lot of, there was a lot of tension around that. So there was my life or especially early on was, there was a lot of, a lot of competition. So my dad would take us to the mosque as soon as we got old enough to go. And uh, then my mom convinced my dad to put us in Catholic schools when we got, when, you know, because of education and, so it was it just, and I was always a seeker spiritually. I was always interested. My dad prayed five times a day. Our life, our literally, you could not escape religious reminders. Like every day, my five times a day. I mean, we, whatever we're doing, we had to stop. Where was his prayer pray. mat in the house? Uh, in his room. Okay. Yeah. So he, he had it in a certain spot. Then when we got old enough and we learned how to pray, then we would have to join him. And so then we would, you know, take our mats and we'd all... Wow. Get in the, go in the family room and pray five times a day, uh, you know, when we're not in school. And it was, I, hate, I mean, I didn't like that, um, but it was just what you did. But I was curious. I was always curious. Why does he do this? What's the point of all of this? And I was always asking those questions. And then I, it didn't take me long to figure out, oh, this is about the biggest difference, at least in my household, the way they frame it was, who is Jesus? I mean, it was a very... That was the question. Mm-hmm. And that's the question I picked up on pretty quickly. Like, oh, you guys have different ideas about who God is and, and obviously who Jesus is. You know, That was uh, probably a benefit to you in that you're, you're experiencing like very different ways of interpreting truth as they saw it. And uh, just knowing that, okay, there's more than, it's not just a Muslim family or it wasn't just a Catholic family. Right. That would have like stifled, potentially stifled your curiosity if you were just like segmented into this one box, but you had were, were exposed to multiple mm-hmm. things. And they both helped. were convinced and yeah. very certain that they were right. And I knew as a child, this cannot be one of you guys can't, you both can't be right. I, I told them right. that. I was like, somebody's got to be wrong here. But how was I supposed to know? Right. And how would I make both that decision? Wrong. Yeah. Yeah, well, you can't both be right, <laughs> right? And I and I that's I I felt that. So um, that was, and I tried to make sense of it for a while and try to like reconcile the two. And what did your mom think about? De- depending on her view, I guess. What did she think your dad, if he didn't change, was going to go to hell? Like, did she yeah. really believe that, or was there I part never, of her heart that was like, you know, maybe? But I so it's, it's an interesting question. I be I became more that way when I became evangelical. Okay, I was like, "Mommy, you know, Dad's going straight to hell." <laughs> yeah, you know, that was that, that's that was my angle. I never heard my mom come at it from that vantage point. She did talk about praying for him that he was lost. Mm. You know, she was compassionate. I mean, she really kind of I think her in her in her mindset it was. I don't think she really knew. I mean, she, I wouldn't say no, but she wasn't dogmatic in the sense that, I mean, she kind of had this umbrella like, well, you know, there'll be a lot of stuff. People go to purgatory, they, you know, get, they need to go through purification. Your dad has a good heart. 
He means well. He makes such a great Christian because of how mm-hmm. religious he is. Yeah. <laughs> you just apply it in the right way. You know, but, he, but, but my dad was always a, I would call somebody who's God fearing. I mean, he really wanted to please God. And that was never a question. I never doubted that. I could see the sincerity of his heart. My mom kind of looked at that and said, you know, God's forgiving and God will direct him and we're still praying for him and that kind of thing. That was how she approached. She never really was like, you're going to hell. And it was never fear based with her. Yeah. Uh, in that sense. Man, that's so rich. Where so how many years were were they both how many years was he devout Catholic or um Muslim and then devout Catholic? How many years did that go on before he converted? Well, my dad, um he grew up obviously as a Muslim and he he didn't convert I guess as long as long as they were married. Yeah, like uh, how long? My gosh. Um thirty years. Wow. Maybe thirty thirty years probably. And she just kept praying for him. Yeah. And so what, uh, so you obviously had a big trigger or a big conversion, mm-hmm. which we, we can get to, but what, do you know what for him, what was the slow burn that, was there a switch that flipped or kind of like a slow deconstruction and rebuild into Catholicism for him? That's a great question. <clears throat> you know, for, I kind of aided in that. I didn't realize what I was doing, but post nine eleven, see, I was, I was at Liberty University um, at the time. Which so that's who's Jerry Falwell. Falwell is part okay. of the Southern Southern Baptist yeah. Convention. So I went to school. That's where I went to college. I went off, went out of state to go to college there. And I remember being there <clears throat> at nine eleven when nine eleven happened, and we had a conversation. But I, you know, there this was years. I had been talking to him. He, you know, I, my dad was very close. The more I would like preach at my dad, the more he would just. He would just be adamantly against him. I would tell him, I'd, I'd show him stories of former Muslims that converted. He used to, that used to trigger him. He just despised that. that. So um, right after 9-11, I had a conversation with him. And I said, you know, Dad, um, according to certain, certain parts of the Quran, you know, uh, I'm cursed and God's going to destroy me. He said, I don't believe that. You know, my dad kind of, when he, when he was challenged, my dad would always go back to this. I'm not a, he was devout, but he was not knowledgeable he wasn't a scholar he hadn't studied the quran or the hadith so he he just he basically clung to the tenets the pillars of islam and practiced as a simple muslim so whenever i would challenge him with a pro he wouldn't know how to answer he said you need to talk to an imam or whatever mm-hmm. um so but not, when i had an 11 happened i just said you know dad according to the quran you know i'm cursed you know we're going to be destroyed and he said that's not islam we don't teach that islam is religion of peace i said well these people that you know Mm-hmm. Crashed planes in the World Trade Towers. I said, you know, they were, they, they, you think they're just, I mean, they obviously have some interpretation of Islam that they, they're interpreting. Whether you think it's legit or not, they do, that is their interpretation of Islam. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. It's, there's nothing in Islam that teaches this. Um, and I said, well, even me, though, Dad, you know, I'm cursed according to the Quran. Where is this? I said, get your Quran. And so we got it. And I, showed, <laughs> I took him to a, 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 a chapter and verse that said, you know, that basically I was cursed. And, because I believe that Jesus is the son of Allah and in the way that they understand that. And so mm-hmm. he, um, he basically, so, it, you know, I said, look, so regardless of, I said, some people think that they're carrying out the, the act, you know, the, the will of God by bringing that curse upon people who believe in, in, you know, in this way. I said, so that's, I mean, you may disagree with that, but that's what they're doing even, but at the very least you have to know that, God is going to destroy me 
according to your belief? Because he kept saying, because I was, I was kind of a bad kid in high school. You know, I got a lot of troubles and the drugs, just a lot of stuff. And so when I had my conversion experience, there was a shift, a radical shift in my life. And he actually was thankful for that. Even though it went against his wishes that I was a Christian, my dad would tell me that he saw that as an answer to his prayer as a dad because he's very concerned about me. So he kept saying that he's proud of me. He was proud of the changes he saw in my life. So I, but I kept, so I would push back and I said, but how can you be proud if I'm going to be destroyed by God, according yeah. to your beliefs? So then that's when he said, well, I don't believe that. I, that was the first time I ever heard him contradict. Mm. So then I said, well, so maybe there's other things. You're like you, the doors, the doors cracked yeah. open and you're just like so, getting ready to bash it down. So eventually that led to a lot of things I didn't realize well, what all was going to, that was enta- going to entail several years had went, but I, par- my dad kept a lot of the secret for me until later, but he started to look into former Muslims had, con- had conversion experiences, people that had visions of Jesus, dreams about Jesus. And he would listen to their stories and he'd be riveted by them. I didn't know any of this. So my dad was really contemplating leaving Islam, but he remember he's in his sixties at this point, but praying five times a day, his whole life, his entire identity. So when you do something five times a day, Every day for your whole life. It's rooted. It's rooted in your sense of being. Mm-hmm. So he, his question was, well, what would I, what would my life look like? Do I just stop this? Do I just stop praying? He didn't, I mean, even a practical consideration, he couldn't, and he couldn't get past it. Mm-hmm. It was too much for him. And so he was like, no, I will die. And I remember him saying, I will die. I'm Muslim. So in Ohio, you know, it snows, there's ice. He slipped on the ice one day and uh, busted up his knee and he couldn't walk. So he had to have surgery on his meniscus. And when he went in for surgery, uh, I don't know, something happened. It, it, it didn't, I don't think it was successful. And so he was, wasn't able to walk on that knee. He has a leg wrapped up and he's in crutches. And for a Muslim, he may sound trivial, but you know, that's very, it's a very physical way of praying. So you, you're standing, you're bending. And so he, for the first time in his life was not able to go through the motions of prayer. Wow, you know he could, he could you know read the prayers and recite them, but it's different. And he felt like he was losing his himself because this has extended this time of with not praying was had extended for a long period of time. Which I love that, by the way. But it was it was very difficult. Mm-hmm. So the very thing my dad couldn't let go of it was kind of taken from from him. And he was sitting in this chair. <laughs> this is crazy. So one night, and he's in this kind of a depression He's sitting in his chair during the time of the late prayer. He's kind of flipping through the TV channels and there's the, there's Benny Hinn. Well, so, uh, this thing was like the seven heart club <laughs> and this guy, <laughs> kid you not, is the guy is sitting on TV and I think it was Pat Roberts and son. Sometimes he hosts it and he said, and he was like towards the end of their program and he's having, he's having this prayer and he's like, I have a word of knowledge. Somebody's watching TV and he described, he said, you've slipped on the ice, busted, you damaged your no. knee. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very to the T and you dam- wow. damaged your knee and your, your surgery. I don't want to believe that. Surgery was not successful. I don't want to believe that right now. I don't know why. And he said, you know, and, um, you, you, you've had questions about Jesus and who Jesus is. And tonight your knee is going to be healed just to show you that there's, there's more to this man than, than you have considered. And, um, so when he, my, my dad said, when this guy prayed, he said it was like, he felt fire on his knee and was completely healed. 
and nobody else in the room. Oh, just, him. just him. Praise and God, man. So, so he. Uh, wow. Goosebumps. He went back to his room and got out his mat and prayed as a Muslim after that. Went through it. But then when he was done, kind of had to get that out. But when he was done, he's sitting on this mat and he said, immediately his knees terrible. (laughs) (laughs) He decided, well, he decides to have this this heartfelt prayer, this heartfelt conversation with God. And he just says, how can this be like, because in Islam, there's, it's a thing called shirk is it means uh, when you make God like a human. And so they believe that's exact when you heresy. Yeah. Yeah. Heresy. It's like, it's like when you bring God down to that level, that's the worst thing you could do to associate God with a, with a human. And that's what they believe actually Christians do. So it's like this huge sin. So mm-hmm. my dad was feeling that. And he said, I mean, this is, you go to hell for that in Islam. My dad said, what, how can this, how can my knee be healed by a man who prays with this idea about Jesus if it's not real? And then he said he heard God speak to him uh, first time ever. After devoting his whole life to prayer five times a day, he's never heard God speak or mm. sensed. A sp- and he said he heard it clear day in, in his being. What more can I do for you? What do you want? Damn it. And he, my dad said, okay, I'll follow you to hell. Because in, in his mind, it was, I'm, if I have to, if this is going to lead me to hell, that's the feeling. Yeah. But, I, but I'll, I'll follow you there. Wow. That's, so, so. That's deep. Yeah. It, it had a profound effect. And my dad was a very angry, not happy. He just wasn't happy. Life was tough for my dad. He just never smiled. He never, I mean, he was just a tough guy, like kind of a down negative person. And I remember right after that happened, I remember coming home uh, or right after he told me that happened. I don't know. It was some time. It took him a while to even talk about it. So when I came, I was in Virginia going to college. I came home. I knew something had happened because my dad walked in the house. He's smiling first time. And he said, how are you? Never. He had never, (laughs) ever asked me that question. In my entire life. Damn, you looked in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> you never make eye contact. Yeah, he, he looked, he was completely different. It, wow. But it was too much for him in the sense of just abandoning any kind of structure. So the, the Catholic religion, the Catholic practice, uh, they joined like a very conservative order of the Catholic Church that had a lot of rigidity and how they, so he, that really appealed to him. And he gravitated to that a few years later, and he's been been that very devout, you know, with that since. So, wow, I love hearing about your dad. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's, cool <laughs> that's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> You've increased my faith, sir. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's amazing. It is amazing. He's got a good heart. My dad's got a really good heart. So then we got to get back to you because we d- we're doing a little time travel. Um, but I guess first of all, Catholics. I hear it still consistently more than I want to, uh, from evangelical friends that are praying for somebody to get saved, and like they've just been devout Catholic, and I just pray that they find salvation. Um, <laughs> there's like this assumption amongst uh, a lot of evangelicals that it's obviously there's different things, there's different rituals, um, but evangelicals can are good at ignoring the things we do. We don't see them as rituals. We have our own versions of rituals through worship and how, how we do church. Uh, but they just, just, there's that assumption and a lot of it's like, well, they, they idolize Mary. Like, do you have anything to offer in that regard? That's like, that might illuminate something for 
Christians that just assume they're they they basically assume that Mary is equal to Christ or 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 do they or how is it is it idolatry or is it not is there more to the picture than most Christians are assuming yeah I think so um well first of all <laughs> it, it's I used to be def- definitely in that camp of Catholics this, these people were horrendous you know this well, I wouldn't say you know I really had a I still have a very negative view of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, I, there, I, there's a lot, there. yeah. <laughs> but but not people. But there are, there's richness in it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I think evangelicals maybe in this juncture are growing in their ability to see that. At least maybe, maybe that's maybe I'm being too generous. But I think in some circles, more Catholic. Like I think with like guys like Father Richard Rohr. Yeah. I mean, that, that would and his a lot of his popularity is pretty evangelical, <laughs> or or people coming out of evangelicalism. Um, he's that's a huge part of his audience. You know, yeah. um, there's a lot to be offered. I want him to read me uh, bedtime stories with that <laughs> just that comfortable voice of his, man. Totally, t- <laughs> totally. I, I think I think pr- it, my understanding of Protestant Christianity. I don't know how Protestants can really look too too far down on Catholics because to me it's all the same. Mm. Like it's they just have modified. I feel like the Protestant reformation was like someone coming into a house going, this is a horrible house. And they just rearrange the furniture and go, look, it's a new house. And really it's not. It's mm-hmm. just the furniture is rearranged to me. Protestant Christianity, evangelical Christianity, even evangelicalism was a fairly new invention, but I mean like, um, Protestant Christianity, you know, going back to the reformation to me is just window dressing on the Roman Catholic problem so um that's one aspect the other the other well if you say a problem Mm -hmm. i mean are you saying just in reference to what the protestants say are you saying that like an actual problem like a like there's a roman problem roman catholic problem yeah i think the roman church has shaped our understanding of christianity um probably from the fourth century on and i think that's a problem (laughs) um has been problematic in the world and the Protestants seeking to correct some of those abuses really didn't. Um, they, they were. I think some folks were recognizing there is a problem, but but how they went about it. And again, I don't want to say point you know, paint it with a broad brush is all bad, but really, to my, I think five hundred years later, looking back and going, it's really just window dressing. It's just kind of moving the chairs around in the room. That I, I see it as a problem. It's not. It hasn't corrected the problem. I honestly. Protestants pretty much have carried on the errors of Roman Catholicism pretty much untouched, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, I mean, in several ways, but that's, um, but when it comes to the beauty of the Roman Catholic faith, I do believe where evangelists could learn from Catholics, there's a beauty in the sense of how they, um, there's, there's, there's mystics, Roman Catholic mystics that, were never accepted by the Roman Catholic institution <laughs> in their day. Um, but they have since the Roman Catholic church, I believe has evolved oh, and, yeah. and, and there's been an evolution that's happened over the years. And I don't think it, I think it's a positive thing that they recognize there's a big tent. Um, they allow guys like father Richard Rohr, mm-hmm. they would have burned this man alive yeah. uh, a few hundred years ago. I mean, they, they would not have tolerated him, but now they do. Yeah. Not because they agree. And every listener needs to chew on Falling Upward. That yep. book is great oh, yeah. by Richard Rohr. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, amazing. And 
I think the Roman Catholic Church has allowed themselves to evolve to a point where they recognize, you know, there's church law that's what they consider orthodoxy. They, but they're they're not. Um, they they have a lot of leeway. They let people be where they are unless they cause too many problems for the the hierarchy, I guess. But it's it's that's one thing I think is has been beautiful. You can see people very a lot of different streams that contradict each other. That they recognize. You know what? This is a big conversation that we can have. The other part I think is this concept of communion of the saints. So that's a it's a Roman Catholic belief that death doesn't end a life. It doesn't end a relationship and it doesn't end a contribution that a person can have to the church just because you die, that your ministry can go on post death. That's a kind of mystical kind of a woo woo thing. That's mm-hmm. it's a lot of folks, but I actually have come to believe that in my later years. Um, it's a really value that. And I believe it's a, it's more understood concept within Roman Catholicism than it is within traditional Protestant Christianity. Well, in, in what way? Uh, Cause I mean, many places uh, uh, name buildings or mm-hmm. libraries after after people who had an impact on on that particular institution. Uh, so, I, what way would it, would that Catholic understanding be different of someone's someone extending their ministry beyond life? Uh, maybe communion in the sense of like people believing that you can have conversation and inspiration like just like you know people say well i've i've talked to jesus but but when you say just like like in the same way yeah like you could talk to talk to mary you you could could talk to some of the other folks that have went on and have conversations with them but should you do that well i think i think a roman catholic (laughs) would say yes you can should they (laughs) are you asking my opinion yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Possibly, maybe. Just depends on who, what the circumstances are. But that that there's someone there to listen. Yeah. Other than Jesus. Totally. Uh. Yeah. 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 Well, I, yeah. So you're, you find got problem. Yeah. <laughs> sure. So before we get, I mean, maybe we can come back to some particulars, but um, those were good thoughts, Jamal. And I want to get back to you because you. It sounds like you had a big conversion experience mm-hmm. um, which there was a time where I would be jealous of that because I kind of just grew up in the faith and I, I think I invited Jesus into my heart multiple times depending on how guilty I felt <laughs> as a kid <laughs> but never like the trigger just like you know I've heard so many stories and it sounds like yours is one of them where it's like this, this moment mm. was it like that was there a build to it? Because you were a devout Roman Catholic, right? I was not a devout Roman Catholic. I oh, wait, you were Muslim. It. You grew up Muslim. Yeah, that, but I kind of rejected were, that too. Yeah, you rejected that. Which, do we miss that? So how did you reject that and then going towards your conversion? Yeah, you know, I, I was very, because again, I was a spiritual seeker, always asking questions. What I observed in my mom and dad was my mom um, and dad, even though they were, I knew the intellectual arguments about Jesus is the son of God. He's not. He's a prophet. We go back and forth. That's Jesus prophet. My mom's son of God died on the cross for his sins. No, he never died. This Muslim view is that he didn't die on a cross. Um, that was a, a hoax. Swooned. Yeah. Well, well, their view is that God actually rescued him. Um, and then crucif- Judas was cursed. And so Judas's face was turned to look like Jesus. So the person they thought they cru- they thought they were crucifying Jesus, but it was really Judas. Allah turned his face. Is yes. that all Muslim? Is that like a general, like a sect? No. Because I've also heard that 
Muslims believe Jesus died for our sins. Is yeah, that no, true at all? That's no? not official. That might be some that they have adopted that, but that's not a, that's not in the in any that's not in the Quran. I think it's okay. that um, Judas replacing him and the swoon theory are kind of the two mm-hmm. popular. He ideas. just faint. He, he was fainting that he died, and mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah. but the belief is that Je- that God rescued Jesus, took him to heaven because he was the purest of all the prophets, and that he will come back to judge the world and bring the world under God's law. Mm-hmm. That is the Muslim belief, and do it violently. Um, yeah, Christians are there too. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. Uh, we just similar in the sense that um, the violence. I'm, but the as far as coming back to subjugate the world under the law of God. Mm-hmm. That's the, the idea. Rule with an iron iron rod fist. and that kind of thing. Yeah. So that's that's Not a similarity. An iron fist. <laughs> There's an iron uh, fist. I think that's Stalin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but I I saw my mom and dad and they, practically speaking, they didn't have peace. Not that I saw. I my dad would pray five times a day and I could say he's trying to appease God. Mm-hmm. This is his duty to please God. But he never. I was like, when do you get there? And I. Ne- my dad never actually extended to me, even relationally as a son. I didn't feel accepted or validated or appreciated as in, in that sense. So I always felt condemned. I'm not doing enough. There's always more I could do. That's kind of how he viewed God as well. And that's kind of how I viewed God. And I thought, well, who needs it? Because how much is enough? And I just thought to myself, like, this is pointless. Skip the, well, I mean, you're trying to get, you're trying to get peace from God, but God never gives you peace. So why do you just get peace somewhere else? Go about it a different way. And that's how I approached it. So, I lead, so my brother, you know, I had an older brother and he's having fun. He's partying and discovered girls and drinking. And I was like, that, there, that's what I'm talking about. I was like, yeah. that looks like peace. <laughs> <laughs> but I approached it. My brother was just kind of doing his thing. But I actually, it was a spiritual quest for me. So for me, I was like, no, I'm trying to figure out what we're here for. My big thing also was I thought my dad... The, what he communicated was get good grades, go to college, make a lot of money, pay the bills, survive. And my mom and dad both were preoccupied. This is what they had to do with. It was all about living, paying the bills, earning money. And I just thought, is that it? That's why we're here to pay the bills. And I could not, it just, that was the message that they, I I received from them, even though it was, it was very centered around religion and obeying God. So I just thought, if that's why we're here, it's pointless. It's just like, you know, I heard a story in, in uh, first grade and it bothered me. This was, a, this was a turning point for me. Actually, it was first grade. I remember they told the story of the ant and the grasshopper. Have you ever familiar with that story? It's like a nursery rhyme based on the book. Of, it's based on the Proverbs mm-hmm. about this, this, the ant is considered the ways of the ant and how, you know, diligent it is. And the grasshopper is the sluggard. So, you know, yeah. the ant like it works hard, stores up food. And then the winter comes and it, it's fine. The grasshopper, it's partying all the time. Didn't do what the ant did. And then winter comes around and dies. And when I heard that story, I was like, oh my gosh, I get it. My dad is the ant. My dad is this working every day and storing up and just this whole thing. I was like, and so what do you do? You, you work in the summer so that you have food in the winter. And you work in the summer so you have food in the winter. You just keep doing this over and over and over and over. And I just thought, I was, it scared me. I was like, that's it. That's the best we can do. And I, I remember having a conversation with my mom, but came home from school, very bothered by that. And I just said, is this like, is it, why does dad go to work? And what happens? And she's like, well, what do you mean? I said, why, why? She said, to make money. 
well, what do we need money for? Like, because we have to pay for our house and we have to eat. I'm like, well, then what? I kept asking, then what? Then what happens next? And she's like, what do you mean this happens? This is what life is. And she was, and then eventually you die. And I thought, <laughs> this is my fear. And it really disturbed me. Um, it really bothered me. And I, I'll never forget it because I was never the same after that conversation. It, 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 I was tormented. And so that when I finally got into you my... You see the hamster wheel? Yeah. And the hamster running that's, it. That's exactly what life was like. And we had a hamster, actually. And we had a hamster wheel. And I would watch it run in this hamster, in this cage. I thought, that's what life The hamster is copying my parents. <laughs> It's, and I just thought, and then so when I, my convert, and then I also felt like I didn't belong in all these kinds of things. Here's another interesting tidbit that I thought was interesting. Uh, sixth grade, uh, I went to the mosque. We had religious education. So we were learning the tenets of Islam. First tenet of Islam was that God is one. There is one God. But the way the Muslims understand that is, is they, it, it's not just like there's one God. It's like, let me help you understand it in a way that, combats this idea of the trinity it's 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 actually it's actually a reaction to it so the way they remember this professor that or this teacher was kind of um he was talking to us he said what this means is god is not a father or a mother god has no sons or daughters you cannot say god is your father or your mother Hmm. because that is shirk you know and you cannot say you're a child of god and that deeply affected me, uh, and it bothered me, but I, I believed it. I accepted it at that moment, and I, I remember like just being disturbed when I went home, and I was like, "Mom, you're wrong. Like, Jesus is not the Son of God because God is not a father mm-hmm. that has, he has no son. He has no son. So, but what that did is when I look back on that psychologically, it so deeply affected me because I, I, and reason I look back now and go, "Oh, I know why that affected me because." We're beings made in the image and likeness of God. So if you say God is not like us in the sense of why are we fathers and mothers and sons and daughters? Well, because we're reflecting something of the divine. So if you change that understanding of the divine, then you lose your own identity. And at that point, I started to exhibit all the signs. When I read up on like orphans and what orphans experience, it's exactly how I felt. I read about, I feel like when I read about what orphans feel like, I have experienced all those emotions. Mm-hmm. And it, I felt like I had no place in the world, no purpose. I didn't know how to relate to God. God was like this thing, this master kind of taskmaster that you had to try to please, and you never really know if it's enough. And it just affected me. So I was like, I was angry. I had got to this point where I just, I was like, this is a joke. We're like ants trying to pay the bills, make money, you die. Then you got God who's angry. I mean, where, where can't catch a break. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I, who needs this? You know. So I kind of, I just went headlong into trying to find out what the what the point was. So eventually, um, there was some of these Christian kids at my high school, and they would carry their Bibles, like ninth, tenth grade. They'd carry their Bibles. Full yeah. Bible or just New Testament? I think full Bible. Okay. <laughs> it was big. So they would carry them, and I hung out with the kids that that would drink and smoke dope and behind the, behind the school. And they would come down and, you know, do the whole standard. I want to tell you about Jesus and preach the gospel to us and that kind of thing. And I would laugh at these guys. Everybody would laugh at them, make fun of them, try to like push their buttons. But I would look back and I really admired them. Actually, I didn't say anything, but I was like, wow, they, I don't, I don't really believe what they believe, but I don't know if I disbelieve what they believe, but I, they believe it. And I was, I was like, really, I admired that. I was like, they believe what they believe. 
And I started to notice that when I was with them, I felt better. And I couldn't really put my finger on it. I felt peaceful. And I thought peace was something that you had to like get your life right, get all your ducks in a row, then you feel better. Because I was, I was flunking out of school. I had a lot of issues. I knew I, just, I had a drinking issue. I knew I had to like, I just knew all that. Hmm. But at the time, like when they would come around, everything felt right. And I could not put my finger on why. So then they, a lot of kids, their parents were like, stay away from Jamal. He's like a bad influence. But these kids... There was this three particular, specifically one, there was actually one girl. I thought she was cute. And so I was like, but she was so different. And her parents were like, we'd like Jamal, bring him over. Like we want him to come over and hang out. We invite him to dinner. And so I would come over to their house and I experienced, I just thought, wow, I want to belong like that. But I always thought, well, I could never belong because I'm not really their family. But I looked at that family and go, but that's what I desire. But they would include me with that kind of love. And it was, and that led to my conversion experience because that's what I wanted. And then, you know, there's a whole other story of how I actually ended up, my girlfriend ended up getting pregnant. I was a senior, she was a junior. I was a crisis. It wasn't that girl, but it was from you. Yeah. For me. Okay. (laughs) So it was a crisis (laughs) point that eventually led me, but I remember to make a long story short, that question of like, is life just about surviving, paying the bills, doing the whole hamster wheel? And emphatically, I realized, no, 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 like it's much bigger than that. And there's, there's a lot more going on here. And I, I am, I've been chosen very specifically to understand that and that my life was seen and known and that, and that God was actually paying attention to me and actually pursuing me. That's what, I, that's what opened my eyes to, to Christ. And that was a term that was a radical, I had a radical effect on my life. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I agree with that whole rat race thing. Trying to get out of that (laughs) one day. Yeah. It's real. I mean, it's a real thing that it's a struggle. I told my boss that I was going to (laughs) quit. This was probably uh, two years ago now. It was probably mentioned. We, it's probably documented on this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, Hey, I probably won't be here in in, uh, four months. Well, yeah, two years later, I'm still there. And, uh, yeah. But they do want you. It's it's weird. You can. It's like. All well, that's of, what they say. Well, by paying me. But I'm not sure that they actually you got promoted. Me. You've gotten raises. Scott really struggles with self-confidence. Right. Still. I mean, I struggle a lot, Zach. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're obviously good at what you do. Yeah. No. <laughs> the worst. He's the worst, the worst, but he's getting he's gotten raises. But <laughs> if you think about it, you are ever we're all no matter what you're doing to make money to pay the bills, uh that could be seen as a rat race. Or you could have a perspective a mm-hmm. different perspective mm-hmm. and be thriving. Yes. Doing you're doing an office job that could be seen as boring. Maybe it is boring, but th- there's a perspective shift that can take place where you can thrive in the midst of that. It's a bull ring. You've probably heard that adage where there's like two people in there. One, one is like laying brick and they said, what, what are you doing? He's like, I'm laying brick. And he asked another one, Hey, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building this great cathedral. Like they're building this, this thing, yeah. you know, I'm building this great edifice for the Lord, you know, mm-hmm. but it's two people have a very different perspective on the same job. Right. That's so, definitely true. And I, I'm struggling with getting, changing that perspective. Like you would like that. 
like uh, yeah, where I I understand there is a, probably a lot of people that would love my job, mm-hmm. and a lot of people that could do it way better than I can do it. Sure, there's no doubt about that. You just personally maybe not feel fulfilled in the I, but yeah, there's a a yeah 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 totally. I get that. Yeah, I do. I do want my perspective to to change, though. I've been I've been think been thinking about that. That's actually what I'm writing about. That's actually what my book next book's uh, about. It's called Living for a Living. That's the title. Uh huh. Okay. Are we Living breaking for... news, or do people know about that? Actually, it might be breaking news. I don't think I've ever talked about that on the living podcast. For so. a living. Yeah, that's it's a great title. Yeah, it's about finding because I do believe ultimately, like my personal belief is that we are all here. We have a job. We have a mission that we're here to do. That's why we're here. And when we discover that there's a flow, like, you know, when Jesus said, you know, you, all those who weary heavy laden come to me, I'll give you rest, you know, for your soul. Like my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think there's a flow when he's like talking about, there's a flow to life that when you can get into that flow, then everything, even though it may be work, which it is work, but you don't lose that sense of flow, Mm -hmm. sense of, you know, so it's, it's, um, and we're, and it's, it's a journey to discover that, but, but we're here like when, you, when those can line up and, uh, you have to move out on a out of an economy of lack and survival. And I think it's very fascinating why Jesus, like when you look at how he began his ministry, it's really started off by saying, okay, you can't serve God or money. Which that's just like, what, what? Like he really started with that saying, look, don't worry about what you're going to eat mm-hmm. and what you're going to wear because that's what the whole world is kind of preoccupied. But you seek first the kingdom and everything you need to be provided. That to me still is the most revolutionary thing that anybody could have said. It's like, wait a minute, what is it? What preoccupies? I've been, I've traveled all around the world. I look at every culture and you know what preoccupies the economy of every country is survival. Mm-hmm. And Jesus literally comes in and nails and goes, Hey, don't worry about that. Look at the birds. They're, they're fine. You're fine. You seek first the kingdom, which is like, well, where is that? Then obviously the revolutionary teaching of Jesus, the kingdom of God is within you. It's like, so if you can start to live from that place, then there's work, there's passion that boils out from that place. And when that, when you start doing the work from that place, it can look many, I mean, it can look in a lot of different ways. I mean, you could, you could do anything. Um, however, but it's going to flow in line with that broader work that we're here to do. That's coming from within you know, and there's a flow in that. And it, and really I'm discovering like, wow. And everything you do need to live and survive, it just, it's there. Yeah. Interesting. So this makes me think, um, just getting to know you a little bit. We've met a couple of times and then also hearing you on the podcast. When you say seek first the kingdom, mm. um, when your faith was new and you were to, quote unquote, could we call you on fire quote unquote yeah yeah totally yeah. you t- were t- totally sold out yeah yeah um you, you a jesus freak oh yeah oh <laughs> for sure what will people do when they find out you're a jesus freak <laughs> what will they say when they find out it's true <laughs> if i remember the song correctly it's close enough i remember uh, that song um but your early faith you would have dug that verse Mm-hmm. but probably in a different way. Oh, totally. So take us back to what the kingdom meant then. And cause I know you've changed a lot mm-hmm. uh, or I'm assuming you've changed a lot. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I think, I think probably have changed a little bit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> back, back in the day, seeking first the kingdom meant reading your Bible, um, going to church on Sunday, tithing, um, sharing your faith, evangelism, um, boxes you got to check. There you go. Um, and then for me, eventually it meant 
I felt called into the ministry. So I eventually became a pastor and that that's also what it meant. And, and now it means something quite different. Um, seeking the kingdom almost had this sense of like the people who really did that were missionaries or pastors. I mean, that's the full, that's how I used to see that. You mm. know, if you really wanted to seek the kingdom, that's what you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> but everybody else kind of did a lesser version of that. Right. And yeah. And you could rely on verses of like the different spiritual gifts and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. That's what I would do because, you know, the th- cause I had the same outlook. Like you, s- you hear about uh, missionaries coming back and telling stories mm-hmm. and you just think, man, they are the super Christians. Yeah. They're, they're more Christian than I'll ever be. You know, not thinking exactly like that. Like I thought I was a Christian, but still just like I was never quite going to measure up because I was so fearful of that. Um, but yeah, I guess that's kind of probably misguided yeah. view of the kingdom. Well, it's just what was we're presented with, you know. Right. Now, to me, seeking the kingdom can mean when I'm drinking my coffee in the morning and breathing deeply and what I'm sensing internally. That to me is being in touch with the kingdom and what, what comes from that. Or when I'm feeling intense love for somebody and I, I start to observe that and go, what is that? And I start to go into that and whatever comes out of that, that's an aspect of it or what, what, what I get passionate about or what, like what, what naturally comes when I, when money is not on the forefront and I'm just thinking about when I'm inspired to do something, what, what naturally comes out of that. That's to me is the moving from the kingdom and that kind of thing. Yeah. The, the thought of, uh, it's probably in first, it's multiple places, but John and first John, where there's love, there's God basically. Yeah. Uh, I'm, that's my paraphrase, but, uh, when you really think about that and like when you feel that deep love for somebody, and when you act out of that, um, that's that's pretty powerful. That's you can get pre- there can be some pretty mystical experiences about like just those connections that we make. Yeah. But what was um what were some catalysts to get you from kingdom as like checking boxes? And we'd probably all agree that doing some of those checking those boxes isn't wrong per se. Hmm. Um, it's probably a perspective thing getting from that to the version of the kingdom now, or maybe the kingdom then too was also going to heaven. Like you invite Jesus in your heart to go to heaven and that's what it's about as opposed to like a a here and now thing. How did that shift happen? That's a great, that's a great question. It was gradual over time. Um, but I think anytime, uh, well, a major thing I, in 2006, I took this big trip overseas with about 12 people because I, it sensed a need to just unplug from the West, unplug from America and to go and observe. And at the time, you know, still in the Christian world, uh, largely. And so I was predominantly connecting with faith communities, but not always, not exclusively. And we went and spent three months, started off in Egypt, made our way through Jordan, Israel, um, went to, Hong Kong, China, Tibet, Nepal, India, and just spent lots of time. And just the things I started to experience there, uh, anytime you kind of get away from your norms and the, the things that you've learned, it's, 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 it's interesting. Like we human beings naturally are, are looking for something they can anchor to and have a sense of certainty to. So, 
I started to experience deep connection and senses of oneness with people that I had no idea what they believed. And that was a change for me because at the time I was a pastor of this church and I didn't sense that same sense of communion with folks in the, on our campus that were from different ministries that had doctrinal standpoints I didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. And I just sensed, even though technically we're part of the same family, like right. under the umbrella of Christianity, I didn't actually didn't feel it close to them because I felt like in some way that we were competing with them. But I mean, honest, just be honest, like we yeah. were competing practically. But, yeah. but, I, but I also sensed that there was something wrong with them because of what they believed, because they believed things that were different than what I believed. But when I was, uh, I remember we were, we were in different parts of China and um, just experiencing deep communion. And even, even in Egypt, Jordan with, with Muslims, um, deep communion, a sense of oneness that went, what, what is that? And I, and, I, and I felt it and experienced it. And it wasn't lip service. Something that transcends... Belief. Transcends belief and box checking. Yeah. And Just had that sense. And that started that the beginning of my deconstruction process. Started the deconstruction. Uh, started me down this road because it was just like, why don't I experience this back home? And uh, the answer I was getting was because back home, you're putting this understanding of Christ through this grid, this, this, this mechanism, this machine, and it's bigger. It's bigger than that. Hmm. And I didn't realize that at the time. But, it, but I, there was, so that, that, that is, again, it's many years. Then I, then I started. You were a pastor at that time? I was, yeah. I, and I quit. So when I came back from that trip, I said, I can't do this. I cannot in good faith continue to do this. And I try, it was, it was a difficult journey because I didn't want to pass judgment and say, okay, you guys shouldn't also be doing this, you know, again, but, but that's how they took <laughs> because, you know, they're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, it was like, it caused a lot of crisis in the circles I was in because they were like, wait a minute, we're here. We're with you. Where are you going? Yeah. So, and I'm like, well, I just honestly like him going, I'm rethinking some things and, um, and I, and I was one of these at the time, you know, I, I've, I was, I was asking the questions like, wait a minute, I read the Bible. I read the new Testament. This doesn't look anything like this doesn't look this church. The things that we're doing, doesn't look anything like what I read about in Acts or the new Testament. So at, that's where I was at at the time. And I was like looking for that. Where's the real first century. Let's, let's go back to the beginning. Let's, let's figure out the way that church was then. And let's do that. I'm no longer there, but at the time that's where I was at and that's mm-hmm. and I was like trying to figure that out. So I'd read all the books that talked about church outside the box and organic church and all that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I read a book that was very eye opening to me. It's a great book. It was called pagan Christianity by Frank Viola, um, George Barna. And basically they just say, okay, look when they really challenging the Protestant paradigm of ministry of church and saying, okay, when people say, you know, we base our, <laughs> we base our church, we base our St. Christianity on the Bible. Well, let's really look at that and say, is that really to understand the office of clergy, laity, the, the office of pastor, what we call the church? Why do we have church buildings? Why is it, why is the church service consist of one man standing just talking? Um, what is, you know, what is, so it's it really taking apart the prac, the nuts and bolts of, and that's, and that was like, I was like, yes, yes, yes. You know, why, you know, that kind of thing. And then I started asking like, well, wait a minute, how did the early believers kind of live their life when they didn't have a Bible and you know what what is that all about and 
what what is what is a, what is what does preach Christ mean when my understanding of that is opening a book and preaching a sermon out of it, but they talked about proclaiming a living word and proclaiming Christ. And so I started, what is this indwelling life like and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing? It kind of led me down that. So it started opening my eyes. Like, what is this kingdom? Wait a minute. And then I started realizing when Jesus had a message, so I was like, wait a minute, before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he preached a message and it wasn't about the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. Cause obviously it hadn't happened yet. So it says that he preached the gospel of the kingdom. I'm like, what is that? Cause my evangelical message was, that was the gospel meant death, burial, and resurrection so that you could be forgiven and go to heaven when you die. Accepting that, isn't it? Accepting right. Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But that obviously was not the message of Jesus. So I'm like, well, what was his message? What was his good news? He had a good news message. What is that good news of the kingdom? Nobody knew. So they're asking all these questions. What is that? What did he preach? What was his? And um, I start realizing, oh, he, he's talking about things like living water coming from the inside. He's talking about, look at the, you know, look at the birds and how they live. He's talking about loving people and, you know, helping like, the, you know, just these parables of acceptance, knowing you're accepted um, by, by God. Uh, the parables of the prodigal son. There's like, he's talking about a new reality. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's not my selling all you have and giving to the poor. Yeah. Like, like there's like, it's interesting how it seemed. I, I wish I had more examples off the top of my head, but there's this almost like a moving a moving bar of inheriting eternal life, how it's translated yeah. to us. Yeah. That was like different for that guy. It was different for totally other people. Like it's, it's not a standard. It's not how we were looking at eternal. Like it's not how we typically see eternal life starts when you, if you've accepted Jesus you, and you die, that's when eternal life starts. But Jesus was talking. It seems to me, in multiple spots, like here and now, like this is when it yeah. begins. Well, you have um, uh, the restoration of, of, of things, reconciliation. Uh, you have the Gentiles be, uh, coming into the family with Israel, because um, that's I mean that's the first part of Luke. That whole the first couple of chapters. That's that's what it talks about. Uh, but then there's also um, the wrath of God is part of part of the gospel, and that's also presented in Luke. Um, so you, you can't just separate it out and mm-hmm. put it in a different, put the wrath in a different box. It was it was all included in what is the gospel. Um, but there's a difference between them when Jesus was preaching when he was on earth and after the resurrection. And it's not that what was before the resurrection that we just kind of go oh and that doesn't matter. It's that and what comes after the resurrection. So it's it's both. Um, so I, I'm not sure, like what you're saying when you're <laughs> like, when you're saying eternity starts now, and then you're going to point to before the resurrection and go, oh, that's what it was like when the pivotal moment is. I want to clarify because I'm the clarifier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the pivotal <laughs> the pivotal moment because before that, the, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out. The, uh, uh, Jesus was forgiving people on the spot. Uh, after the resurrection, we have there, there's a there's a difference, mark a, a a distinct distinct difference. Is that redundant? There, there's a difference after the resurrection, and well, what would happen? Jesus no longer with us means he can now send the Holy Spirit. 
but he also gives the apostles authority to go and teach and establish the right. church. So there's just, yes, there's a dichotomy, but it doesn't mean that one is now nullifying the other. Right. It's, it's, it's an it's interesting a, thought, but I, I think I'm resonating with what Jamal is saying in, in that uh, growing up in American conservative evangelicalism, you, you kind of just, again, it's, I, I'll take responsibility because I didn't do my homework. It's only fairly recently where I'm like looking at Jesus' life and ministry and what he was doing and how it it does seem like there's more to the picture than just the God is not dead model of like, oh, say the, say the right words before you die. You're on the street. You're going to die. Say the right words. And then he does it. And it's like, ah, oh, he's in heaven now. Like there's more to the picture than that. And it more than... Mm, I want to say more than what I was given, but that's almost not fair. It's like, it's, it's my own damn fault for not. Yeah. You were an adult for a long time. I know I was an adult who just <laughs> believed I have, my pendulum has swung from like believing what I was given and not like thinking about it too much to now. Like I believe almost nothing <laughs> fully, <laughs> fully. Well, you know, when I, the more I read loosely, I'll hold it loosely. The more I read the New Testament and read yeah. about what Jesus, I find very little emphasis on you must believe the right things. I see a lot of emphasis on this is how it affect an affected life, a way that you live. I see Jesus really talking a lot about how you treat other people, how you love other people, being a demonstration. And honestly, when he's like, well, you know, even when he said, you know, I'll, you know, I'll say to the, you know, you know, you know, he'd be like, when did we clothe you? when you were naked? When did we visit you when you were in prison? When did we, he's like, when he did it to anybody, it was me. Mm -hmm. That's really the important aspect of like coming, because why is that so important? And I really realized like, so what is it that, what's the point? Why, why are we here? I I still come back to what, what is the whole reason for this thing? Mm -hmm. And I come down to this, like it's, it's about experiencing, um, so, so to be to bear the image and likeness of God, which is the whole point of humanity, to be the mirror, image and likeness. Why is that important? Because, first of all, we're we're assuming that there is a being that is is comprised of pure love. The essence is pure love, but love can only be experienced. Love is not theory. Love isn't something you just know in your mind. To, for love to really be fully maximized, it has to be experienced. And so we talk about God being all-knowing. You know, God is all-knowing. But I had tended, in the past, I kind of looked at that as being, oh, well, God is like this big encyclopedia that knows everything about everything. But God does God know what cho- chocolate tastes like? Well, yeah, not because he knows the information of what chocolate tastes like, but because we eat chocolate. Well, because Jesus probably ate chocolate, possibly, but we eat chocolate. So, like, but when we love, <laughs> what, what? So we, we, I actually kind of, uh, my understanding now is we actually. You're tapping into something super deep and, and dare I say, borderline heretical, depending on who you're talking to. For sure, yeah. but maybe God is all knowing because God experiences through incarnation. It's always been about incarnation from day one. 
um, I firmly believe, and I, I, I would agree with Richard Rohr when he says that the incarnation happened at the Big Bang. That event, it, that that all of creation is the manifest expression of the divine expressing God's self. And Jesus, when Jesus was born, it wasn't the first time that God was with us. It was the first time that we knew that God was with us in this revealed, expressed human being. But God has always been with us. And it's all, and God is the whole point has always been to give the divine image and likeness in tangible form. Because God is spirit and spirit desires to be incarnated through body. So we are as we are not human beings first, you know, was it who's that guy? Is it a French Joseph philosopher? Smith. No, Chardin. <laughs> T.L. Chardin, where he said that we are human beings Close, guy. We are we are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having a spiritual experience, and that's a huge distinction. That's a very big difference. So, wait, say it again. We are we are spiritual beings that are having a human existence, having a human experience, um, versus being human beings first, having some spiritual experience, because our humanity is temporary, but our but we are first and foremost spiritual beings, giving the divine expression uh, through incarnation. Yeah, and I, I, so whether whether or not that's the first time, you know, the Jesus incarnation is the first time God is, we, we can say that God is incarnate in the world. Wh- whether or not that's mm-hmm. the case, I. But there, uh, there does need to be that distinction of Jesus incarnation as opposed to incarnation being since the beginning of let's just say time, um, or else Jesus incarnation is. It's like oh, okay, that's just. It's just what's been happening since the beginning of the world. Um, you feel like it makes it not matter as much. I well, it, it would it would approach that. Yeah. Well, if, if without the distinction, yeah. what I think makes Jesus distinct is he knew it. So I, I think that's where it, that's my understanding. I know it might be a little different. So like for example, he he said, "I'm the light of the world," and nobody argues with that. You know, he now he said that very confidently. I am the light of the world. But what he also did was he turned around and said but you are the light of the world looking at disciples. And of course that's the news because what do you mean? They were light of the world. They, they didn't understand. They didn't get it. And he goes, no one takes a lamp and puts it under a bed. So that, I, so who's being, who's the light that's being hidden. And I don't think he's talking about himself. I think he's talking about humanity and he's saying, listen, I'm here to tell you, I believe Jesus is a mirror. I think Jesus is a mirror of God. So you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. But I also think he's a mirror of us. He's a, he's as human as we are. And so he comes to show us who we are. So as he reveals himself as the light of the world, he always turns around and says, and you are the light of the world. Or when he says, Peter, who do people say I am? He's like, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, okay, that's the rock that all this is being built on. And by the way, let me tell you who you are. You're, you're part of this rock. You're an expression of this rock. You're a piece of this rock. So with the revelation of Jesus also comes a revelation of us with also comes a revelation of God. It's all one. It's all the same. Well, okay, yeah, I I would just I would just change. You kind of agree. Change the well. Change, <laughs> change like Keith. Change like, the emphasis. I think I agree with Jamal. <laughs> no, cha- change. I would change the uh, change the I'm emphasis Keith. there, where um, he's not revealing something innate in us because I mean he's saying he's saying that you are the light if you actually shine the light. If you're my disciples, you are the light of the world. It's not that humans are the light of the world. 
It's those who are my disciples are the light of the world, Mm -hmm. shining in a dark place, which is the rest of the world who is evil, who has turned their back on God, who are enemies of God. So that's just the, 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 yes, we're the light of the world, but the focus is that Jesus is the light. The, he is not mirroring us. He's telling us there's evil out there and there's, there's the light and you're to shine the light, the goodness that you are now, you are now becoming and not the goodness that you are because people aren't, I mean, people, people are evil and they're not, they're not inherently good. We might be, might do good acts, but, but people are, people are evil. See, Maybe I think you that's flip that. No, I, people are evil there. We, we, we can't yeah. please God. Well, that's without, I think, without faith. I think that's, please God. that's where we would probably diverge because I believe people are inherently good. You have to show me one. If I had a verse. heresy button, <laughs> one verse, I, <laughs> I would press the heresy button right now on me. No, on, on no. Scott. well, it's just perceived yeah. heresy yeah. on Jamal. Just show me. No, I, I'm probably no, I, on Jamal's page. Hey, hey, no. it, it could be the case. Just one verse that would that talks well, about humans being good in like in the in the context that we're talking, as opposed to um, no one is righteous, not even one. Yeah, well, I wouldn't agree with that. I probably wouldn't agree with that sentiment that no one is righteous, not even one. But that again. But if you're looking for a verse that says, that talks about it, I mean, Genesis and Genesis one, you know, I, I, I love the story where it basically comes down to like that God created humanity in his image and likeness and declared that to be very good. Not yeah. perfect. Then, by the way. Well, they, then they sinned. Yeah. Well, hold and, on. Be, and because of that, mm-hmm. because of that, the whole earth is cursed. Arguably the whole universe is cursed. Yeah. Um, and then all of the descendants of mm-hmm. the two that sinned, they're, they're, they're in that same sin boat. They, I think they were affected by a lie. And the lie that they were... My understanding of the lie that happened. So in Genesis, you look at the story, and you have this... I like you called it a sin boat, by the way. That's some good imagery. <laughs> Go ahead, <laughs> see, sorry. See, you have this... Um, you have these two... These people, Adam and Eve, and they're made in the image and likeness of God. And they're already... In, I mean, they're fine. They're totally fine. They're not lacking anything. The serpent comes and says, hey, I have this, there's this tree with this knowledge of, there's a fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you take this and eat this fruit and receive this knowledge, you will then be like God, which is selling, it's a very crafty way of saying, because right now you're not like God. But if you just take this information that's knowledge that God's keeping from you, by the way, because he doesn't want you to be like him. So if you take this knowledge that is currently outside of you and you take it within yourself, now you will be like the divine. But if for, in order for that to work, to sell that, they actually have to feel like I'm missing something. I'm actually not like God right now. They were already like God. They were made in the very image and likeness of the divine. Like it's an, like human beings were the literal, they come from the being. It's like all the little, you know, even in the Genesis story, it's like, let the sea creatures give birth after their kind and let the land animals reproduce after their kind. And then God's like, but let us reproduce after our kind. Yeah. And so like, let us make humanity in, in our image and likeness. So we're actually the God kind. That's just, we come, that's the lineage of humanity. So like for them to feel like they lacked something to be like God, was the lie and it affected them. And when they bought into that, they began to live as, as if they were separate 
from God, and that God, and then that that became, and then that's why Paul says they became enemies of God in their mind, 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 mind. not in God's mind. Still going. Uh, it could be just in the plugs here. I don't know. Getting uh, it's, it's recording. Keep going. I, um, I do like that uh, in, in when Paul says we were enemies of God in our minds. In our minds, yeah. That's something. That's something that recently just popped out off the pages of the Bible that I was blind to before. No, oh. like it was all. It was always the other way around. That God, we are enemies of God because mm-hmm. of who we are and our fallenness. But really, it's the other way around. You see it in the in the garden story too. You see mm. that they were God's like. Where are you guys? God didn't hide it. God wasn't hiding from them. Right. God wasn't ashamed to look on them, their nakedness. Right. They were ashamed. Right. Listen, God. God was like, I'm fine. Yeah. Where are you? <laughs> no, the, okay. Yeah. The lie, no, the lie is that they could be like God. No, the lie is that they weren't. No, 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 no. They're, they're, we are in the image of God, but obviously not in the full sense of who God is. There, there's no, you, you can't, you can't even try to to define it like that you, we're not god so when you say we're like god mm-hmm. there's obviously a difference because we can't create like god can create yeah well, I, mean, I think there, there, are many, there are many things of course i think that the, the when there was the sense of that they were lacking that they were not made in the image and likeness of god then there was the sense of rivalry like we can rival and be like god but that only was created because there was a sense of no, God is withholding likeness from them, and He was not. Well, the, the lie was the lie was hath God not said? Like it was, it was questioning what God had told them. Yeah, but the only reason they would be attracted to the knowledge is because they felt like it would make them like something that they're not. I don't know. I don't know. I and would, thank I you would for using that, King James parlance. Scott, I would. I would call that speculation mm-hmm. as to the only way that they would come to that conclusion. I would. I would, I would call that. Yeah, I'd call that speculation. Would you but, say yeah. so? This is probably this is this comes up a fair bit, even more in personal conversations with Scott and I. But would you say the Bible is more? I think we're we're coming from the our presuppositions about what the Bible is is different, and so there's a little more play, mm-hmm. Jamal, maybe in how you're interpreting things. Yeah, I see. At, I see the Genesis as a midrash. You know, a Jewish idea of midrash is there would be the story that's communicated, and what's really the issue is what's behind the story. There's a, there's a, there's a principle being communicated through a story, um, and that's how the Jew, like a lot of Jewish understanding of the scripture, wasn't like like this is actual historical line by line account of what transpired, but this is a story that's being communicated in the vernacular of their day that they can understand. That's communicating some deeper truths. Um, so the deeper truths are that, you know, obviously the, if you knew the Genesis was penned during the, ba- the Babylonian exile. It's when it was actually penned. Wait, the, like in the first, like 1000 AD or BC? Yeah, when, 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 the, when, the, when, the Isra- when the Israelites were taken as captives to Babylon. Which was like, wasn't it like around, because they were captive exactly. for 490 years or something? Well, I'm not exactly sure the year BC that they were taken. But way after Moses. Oh yeah, well, a long time after Moses. So it was very oral, traditional. I mean, again, you have to remember in the ancient world, uh, very few people were literate. Uh, scribes were a whole class. Most people didn't read. 
Um, but when they were taken to Babylon, modern day Iraq at the time, uh, when they were taken there, there was obviously the Babylonian religion. The Jews had felt the need for the first time to preserve their sense of identity, their culture, their beliefs. So that's when the scribes who were then educated to write in the uh, by the Babylonians when they grew up there. These were people that were born and you know, lived in that system. So they began to write down. But there was a Babylonian creation myth. It's much older than the Genesis called the Enuma Elish. And if you read the New Elish, it's very similar to Genesis, almost, almost very, very similar. So Genesis is actually written in a, in a way that is to rival the Enuma Elish, um, is very similar. Subverts it a little Subverts, bit. It's, yeah. it's actually to subvert it because the, it, so it's, it was never an, written in the sense of like, this is how it happened, but it's this idea. What was being communicated is, okay, the Enuma Elish began with uh, that, that evil pre, pre, preceded goodness, in that humans were created to be slaves of the gods who were evil, who were bloodthirsty. Of course, their entire society was built upon that. So Genesis actually subverts masterfully. I believe that's where you see the inspiration in it, is it masterfully subverts um, the idea that God is, that, that evil precedes goodness, that actually everything begins with God, who is the essence of goodness, and that human beings were created not to be slaves, of the divine, but to actually to be the expressions of this goodness on the earth. And so it was a real challenge to their whole society and the way, I mean, Babylonian society was very brutal. Slavery was huge, huge thing. And of course, you remember, this is the God who rescued them from slavery. Slavery is very, they're opposed. The divine is very opposed to, um, um, subjugation and enslavement and violence and all this kind of thing. So, um, so this is a, to me, Genesis was really a, a masterful, writing at that period of time in a way to subvert these key ideas about the universe that, you know, evil is, is predominant is, is preeminent and that kind of thing. And the human beings were slaves of the divine and a God that yeah. creates out of chaos or gods yeah. that create out of chaos versus a yeah. God that creates out of creates order. out yeah. of chaos. Totally. Like, yes, yeah, it's, it's just a uh, very different, very subversive to their culture. And everyone in that time period would know, Oh, this is like the Enuma Elish, but, but it's not. It's it's very similar. I, I see a lot of what, what we call the Bible, a lot of the writings there to be commentary for the people in their day. And but but really, what's behind it is what is being communicated. What what is the essence? You know, we we look yeah. back and we go, well, that's just it's barbaric. You read like Exodus and Leviticus and some of these places, but it was very progressive yeah. at the time it was written because yeah. there's subversion happening. I even think that's the case with Abraham and. Um, Isaac and and um, you know him not killing his son and so either you know they were very much common that the gods would require human sacrifice and here's the story where God didn't require that right <laughs> that's a revolutionary idea at the time yeah um, even Paul I mean or Abraham is mentioned as a pillar you know one of the icons of faith and you know I'm I'm not arguing against that but when you go back to that original story and you put it in the ancient context, the the idea of him going to sacrifice his firstborn just to just anyone sacrificing their firstborn to please God or the gods or w- mm-hmm. whatever the context was in w- would not have been out of place. No, totally so, expected. So let me see that. What is it? One of the judges was it Jehu, whatever's like, all right, I'll give you my daughters. Yeah. Somebody, some one of these, and they totally gave like, okay, you know, like, as a vow to God, he made a vow to God that he would like sacrifice his, his daughters. 
Right. And he did. (laughs) Can you imagine that today? No, of course not. And I heard somebody read it or heard it. So somebody can let us know who it is. And I'm probably going to butcher it. But when talking about in the Bible, when God is written that he changed his mind about something, it they think you should flip it and see humanity changing their mind about how God is. Mm-hmm. So with the Abraham and Isaac story, wasn't God actually changing his mind or maybe it was a test. Maybe it was not a test. Maybe it was elevating people's knowledge of, of the divine to like, you know, you don't need to do that anymore. Human yeah. sacrifice is out of the question. We don't do that anymore. And it moves to animals and then, yeah. um, it just progresses up through Christ and, Man, it's it's all mind blowing stuff that is all fairly recent to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we have we have you know mentioning Paul. Go, well, going back to being children of God or being made in God's image, those, those two concepts are are separate. Um, being made in God's image, all hum, humanity is made in God's image, but being children of God is something that who is God's children? Yes, exactly. <laughs> who is who is that? Um, there, there's a that's a separate category because not everyone is (laughs) not everyone is is God's God's children. Not everyone is God's children. (laughs) Man, Um, I I would say not everyone lives as God's children. Well, well, but I I would say that not everyone is God's children because it's it's those it's only those who are believing, those who are obedient. I mean that that's the New Testament message is that. We are we are heirs of the kingdom by being in Christ. If you're, and if you're not in Christ by faith, then you're not an heir of the kingdom. And that that's that whole being a child of God idea is mm-hmm. that you 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 co heirs with Christ. You, that's that's how he calls us brothers is mm-hmm. is because not just so because your, we live. In your understanding, a person what's required is correct belief for a person to be actually be accepted as children of God. It would be faith in Jesus. Yes. Which would be correct belief, right? What what, what I don't, you would have to you'd have to define correct mm-hmm. belief. How does somebody faith get that Jesus? faith? How would someone get that faith? Uh I think we we look to the the New Testament. Jesus says mm-hmm. uh your faith has your faith has healed you. Right. Um he, he talks about uh, I think it's in Romans. Um But even then you're you're interpreting what Jesus is meaning there. It, what are your con? What like you that, interpreting when Je- when Jesus says your faith has healed you to that to you that means a specific thing, but that's well, not that's what I'm asking. Yeah. So I'm, that's what I'm asking. If you say correct belief, is that what you're, you're you're are you pointing it back at me and saying, well, you're I'm that Scott is saying correct belief, or I'm just saying faith in Jesus. So let's we can we can have the discussion saying, hey, generically faith in Jesus. Without saying, uh, uh, you know, a, a Calvary Chapel or a pro, uh, Presbyterian or a Catholic, what I'm getting at is, is faith in Jesus. If you if you want to say it's not faith in Jesus, well, shoot, man, that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what you mean by correct belief. Yeah, or not. just when you talk about children, what makes somebody, you know, in your in your opinion, what makes somebody accepted by God as one of God's children? That they, that they would believe in in Jesus Christ as mm-hmm. their savior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it, it, so it's w- correct that that belief. That so if you if at the at the base level mm-hmm. that would be foundational for correct belief. Okay. Now there might be some nuances if someone were to say 
this is what I believe, and I would go, hmm, well, that is not what's taught in the New Testament, so I, I'd have to, we'd have to discuss that. Well, also that's, so, yeah. that's, a, that's a broad strokes, too. With, I'm trying to be as generic as no, I can. I, I know, I know. <laughs> Good grief. Well, Give me some credit here. <laughs> Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay. Good, because I have I to go can. too. Yeah, I have to pee. Hurry too. up! <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but Zach, I'm trying to be as generic as I can, and you're trying to you're so straight across the landing there, that door that's open, straight there. Yeah, go for it. I, I'm trying to be generic, and you're like, I know, I'm. You're trying to it? put, in, in, which I'm, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm glad to do. No, I know. I, I'm glad to do, but. But um, since since we know that we we might have a disagreement, yeah. um, if, if 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 we can't if we can't say the simple statement that belief in Jesus makes you a child of God, then man, I I I would call that I, I that that's right approaching that heretical like not just I hey, jokingly you. heretical but right. How how are you calling yourself a Christian if you don't Am believe that Jesus? Well, well, no, no, no. Whether whether you whether you burn you. or no, not, I got you. How do you how do you call yourself? Why would you call yourself a Christian if you don't even you don't even believe that Jesus? That you have to someone has to believe in Jesus to be a Christian. Like it's it's just it doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and I appreciate that, Scott. And I'm trying to be generic. No, you, this is. I got zero problems with how, how you're communicating, uh, and and you, you can I get why you are there, and and it's not a problem. Like it's totally understandable. I think. Are we gonna trade off going pee? We yeah. could have just paused it. Let's just have this be real life. We'll trade off. Okay, I'll go next when Jamal comes All right, back, and, we'll, and yeah. then you can come back and go. Yeah, or I'll come back and go. Yeah, but no, our the emphasis on our correct belief or coming to a saving faith in Christ, I think there's a way to read a lot of these things that seem to say that in a way that shows it's uh, Christ's faith in us. It's Christ's faith that does the saving. Faith in us? Yes. That's a new one. Well, faith, maybe not faith in us, but it's Christ's faith. Like, for example, the, well, this is not Christ per se, but the prodigal father is is there any point where those two sons are are not the child of that father? So we we and we've talked about this a number of times, right? And my my point is always that the prodigal son just answer the question. The prodigal son returns to the father, right? Right. So if he no, does, if he does not return, then he doesn't he, get to go to the party. He he right. He, he, right. Right. But. So, which the is a prod- sign of repentance and right, forgiveness. For, and th- all that's important in not being thrown out. But the father, what's the father's disposition towards his son? He, J- he Jamal's accept- back. We kept yeah. going, Jamal. We could have paused it. <laughs> We're going to take turns going to the bathroom the pro- now. The, the, the father in the prodigal son story, his position is if the son's coming back, I've been reaching out to him this whole time, yeah. and now he's coming back and I will accept him. Yes. Right. But but, but he has to come it back. It is slight it's slightly different in that it's not like because he's gone, the father disowns him. The love of the father towards both sons remains unchanged the whole time. That's, that's a constant. And I think that's, that's pretty key to this conversation. Well, But it, I don't, I don't think that that over, 
I, that's not the. But right I don't think that that's the point of we the. We got another Stella in there all. <laughs> I don't think that that is the point of the story. I'll wait for Zach to come back so I can properly explain the right view to him. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but but Jamal, I, th- I think that the the children, yeah, that were that a few times in 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 the New Testament, it it talks about the children are children because they are they do something different than the rest of the world. They're they're um, um, they're the, they're it, um, the obedient to God, right? With, without that, they're, you're you're they're not children. I, I think that's to me that's a clear message. Um, I could pr- I could probably look up a couple of scriptures that we can discuss, but mm-hmm. but um, that that it's not not everyone is a child of God in the same sense. We are we are we are actually not only children of God, but we are we are. God's little G, in that we are in made in the image of God, yes, but that's a different category. A different uh, there's a there's a different definition imputed to that than being children of God, being of the righteous people of God, those who are in Christ, those who are not going where He's not going to say, "Depart from me, for I never knew you." Those are two separate separate people groups. Too. But yeah. Zach, going back to Zach, Zach's back. And then I'm going to say this, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go take my relief. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that that's the main point of the story, that they're both sons. It's that the son leaves, recognizes his error, and then comes back to a willing father. And that, that shows the heart of God. Because if, 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 he's o- if the son is always a son, and that's the point of the story, then it's like it doesn't matter if the son comes back. He can go and he can go and I do whatever he, he can go and do whatever he wants, and that. But but I I think him leaving, recognizing his error, recognizing the necessity of the father. I think that's more of the point than assigning a whole bunch of definition to them both both sons always being sons. That that I don't think you can. I got you. Yeah. And there's a there's a. Real quick before I let you take your relief, <laughs> <laughs> sit there. How's good? How strong is your prostate? How, Man, it's it's gotten weaker over time. <laughs> um, n- no, and I would never. St- I'm never gonna say that this is. There's so many layers to that parable and all, all the parables. My point is like, the father's posture towards the kids. And I do believe it's a good picture of what the father is. It's not saying sin doesn't matter or what you do in life doesn't matter, but the 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 love of the father is unsurpassed and it never changes. There's the disposition of the father towards his children never changes. Well, I it's agree the, with that completely. Yeah. Children are separated in their own minds from their father. Well. It, in the, in their own minds and practically, yeah, yeah, and because and practically because it's in their minds, like maybe you well, know there it, there might be a sense of that, but and practically in actuality, yes, for sure, yes. there are real consequences to behaviors, yes, and uh, you may even call it the wrath. Some people interpret the wrath of God to being the actual consequences of people doing and getting what they have sowed, but the Father's love doesn't change. Go pee. Is that a command? <laughs> <laughs> it's a request. Anywho, 
Now that Scott's leaving, we can talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, there's different different shades of. It's interesting how you can interpret. You take and take the same parable and you emphasize. And I'm doing it. He's doing it. You're doing it. We're all doing it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But it. Some of these truths to me have only recently you've just it's like they're popping off the page like the i used to think of the creation story that god is like wandering through the garden basically hunting them down because they made a mistake that's right. how i was reading that yeah. because they did make a mistake but it was god was still pursuing them that's mm-hmm. how i read that now it, mm-hmm. you know I, I don't think it was like a blow by blow account i think it's like you said it's a re deeper reality going on mm-hmm. behind it. And I know Scott would more see it as a blow by blow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I understand why he does and other people do that, but mm-hmm. there's just, there's a lot of layers. Mm-hmm. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And you saw that with your family. Mm-hmm. That's just such a benefit to you. Like I said before, like you're just being exposed to different ideas of people that were so, hundred percent sure. And I know when you, when you converted and you were set free and you were on fire and all those buzzwords, it was so real and a hundred percent true mm-hmm. at that moment. That's how you saw it. That's totally. how it was. That's how God was. And then even now you've shifted and matured and do you call yourself a universalist? Like, is it, um, you know, I think, I think, um, I, if I look back on, on if I go back 10 years in my Christian world, and I would to look at my life um, now, I think I would say, oh, that guy's a universalist. But I'd, I wouldn't put that label on myself, even though I would agree. Do I agree? Like, what is meant by that? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't believe that people go to hell. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think according to that definition, do I, I believe all humans are forgiven by God. Even what that means is different, though. Even the idea of forgiven. I used to think forgiven meant pardoned as in a legal sense. Like mm-hmm. there's a judge who pardons a criminal. And I don't even see forgiveness as a, a criminal, even in that, even there's, it's not even in that light anymore. Yeah. You know, so forgiveness in my understanding now is simply healing. It's healing from a sickness. Um, it's, it's the sickness of not understanding or knowing, not from an intellectual belief standpoint, from a knowing deep knowing standpoint. So, you know, I believe that, um, one of the things that has made humanity sick is not a belief, but a deep sense of being alone and a deep sense of being separated from everything. So the good news when, when Jesus came in the world, one of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us, which is a declaration. It's mm-hmm. like God is with us. And why is that good news? It's the peace on earth and goodwill to all humanity. That's what right. kind of the, was announced at the birth of Jesus. Like good news for who? Everyone. And why is it good news for everyone? Because God is with everyone. It's, it's with. It's mm. like the sense. And um, so, I, yeah, I believe that. And I think that kind of to put it back into the Jewish mindset, I don't know why I would say it this way, but I understand how Paul would say it this way. Paul's understanding of that, and an action of one man being Adam affected all people in the same ways as how much more was the action of one man, the last Adam, which he calls Jesus, affect all humanity. And how much more will life, if death passed to all humanity through this one action, 
death meaning and my understanding of death isn't I believe that to mean you know death in the sense of like the sense of separation um, and all the ramifications that come from that but but you know if if death passed this under the sense of death separation passed all humanity through this action of this human in the Jewish mindset the story of Genesis then how much more will life pass to all humanity through the action of the last Adam? So I understand Paul's mindset to un- it, that's a tot- that's a that's a universal application of universal death passing to all humans, and in the same way universal life passing to all humans through this action. I mean that's Paul's actually making that comparison very clearly, saying just how ha- it's universal when Adam did it. Everybody's universalist. I always say that. everybody's universalist. There, I've never met a non-universalist. There's one of your statements that. <laughs> That yes. people will be like, what? And then your co-host will be like, as you unpack it, they'll be like, okay, I yeah. kind of see what well, you mean. I mean, because because even if I'm talking to a, an evangelical Christian and say, well, do you believe that death passed all humans? Well, yeah, well, that's universalism. It's just universal death. Universal, it passed universally to all humans. The question is, some people believe that life also passed all humans through the actions of, of, of a man. And that would be universal life. So the question is, what do you emphasize? Universal death, universal life. That's how I would put that. Everybody's yeah. universalist, though. And then, so, so I know a lot of people are probably thinking, um, then what is it? What does it matter? So, what is sin to you? Mm-hmm. And does it not? It can sound like it doesn't matter what you do in life. Well, you know, I would say this: um, it matters to me. I have a daughter, so it matters to me that she knows I love her. I want her to know that not because it will, she won't be my daughter if she doesn't know it. It's because she will not, I know the suffering that comes from believing that you're rejected and that risk real suffering that affect her life. So we're here to live the, I really firmly believe we're here to live the abundant life. And so what makes us live as human beings? I don't believe we're here to suffer in the sense of, I believe that God came to rescue us from hell and by hell. I don't, I mean torment. I mean, darkness the belief that we are rejected that we are alone that this fear of death this fear of not of of lack Uh, it's all the things what makes a human being suffer it's when they feel rejected when they feel unloved when they feel all these things so that's why i believe the entrance of jesus into the world is a manifestation of all the things that heal human beings god is with us god loves us god chooses us god accepts us that's the message now if they someone doesn't believe that they are going to live a very dark life. They're going to suffer. And I honestly believe that's what God wants to rescue us from. That's how people are perishing. Literally, what, what people are perishing just trying to survive. You know, they're, they're just trying to make ends meet. They're just trying to live. They're just trying to make it in the world. They're trying to please. They're trying to be enough because they feel like they're lacking their inherent sense of inadequacy. They're trying to prove themselves to God, to other people. Trying to belong to some group. They're trying to be something. And that's, that's a real, that's a, that's a, that's a suff, that's a, that's a life of suffering. I really believe Jesus came to relieve us from that. And so that's why I think it's important. Correct belief is important, not because God won't love us or God won't accept us. It's because we will know what's true and then we can be free to live to the fullest of our potential. So Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And then when you're free, you live according to your, who you are and you're free and you do your thing and you live free. And 
um, that's why I believe we're here is to live the life that we were destined to live. And that's why I think belief, correct belief does matter. But I'm not talking about belief in the intellectual sense. Like, I mean, you know, when I, I, I don't think I would argue. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I've always, George Washington's the first American president. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of humanity. You know, I used to always say, I believe that even when I didn't really believe that I was like, yeah, well that's, that's a historical fact. How does that affect my life? And I think that the idea is that not belief in the sense of what's so important to people, you know, what heals a person is when they know that they're loved, that they're chosen, that they're enough. When people believe that deeply, then they're, they're set free and they're healed. And we can be the demonstrations of that to people. You know, someone may not, what if you don't speak somebody's language? What if you don't speak you know, I mean, I, I think about when I think about the example of Mother Teresa, she would go, she was on the streets of India and uh, she, there was these people laying in the gutters, dying without doing, they were the untouchables, the lowest of caste, you know. And um, she prayed and was like, God, what are you going to do about this? And she sensed what the answer was. What are you going to do about it? It's not mm. really about God. It's like, get a job. <laughs> well, it's like, it's, it's almost like the sense of like, her voice. Shut up, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is your role. So when she began to pick these people up off the gutter and love them, she felt like, then that, then she remembered what Jesus said. When you do this to them, you do it to me. And it's the sense of like those people, what they were on the receiving end of it, what they were receiving was I was, I was rejected by my whole society. I was not good. I was untouchable. And this lady saw demonstrates to me I'm touchable mm-hmm. and I'm worthy of being accepted and brought in. That's the gospel. Did they understand? I mean, what was their level of understanding? It doesn't really matter. They experienced at experiential level. I believe they experienced the gospel, and I think that's what's important. And then they're suffering. They actually died in a way they never lived, with dignity, and respect, and being accepted and loved and cared for. To me, that is the gospel. That's what God is communicating to us. It's not about us doing something to earn that favor. And they. And honestly, it's just about like, so it's important to receive that so you can receive that, but it doesn't change the reality. I mean, my daughter is always going to be my daughter. I'm always going to love my daughter. Mm-hmm. She's always going to be my daughter. I don't care what she believes. That's the facts. But if she doesn't believe that she's going to suffer. If she thinks that I don't love her, a lot of people out there suffering right now because they don't realize how much they're loved or they may f- interpret brokenness on their own parents' part and say, well, they, my parents didn't love me. And I, and I think they, they don't realize that, no, your parents were just broken and they had their own issues and they weren't able to actually extend to you what you needed. But that's where they get healing. When they begin to understand that, oh, it wasn't personal. That's when they start experiencing healing. Why? Because they know that they're loved and accepted. And um, there was a guy, there was this story, this Russian, I, I, I like to look into people who have experienced uh, what I call NDEs, near-death experiences. And there was, there was this Russian who had an NDE and um, he is years ago and he um, was told that his parents, had, he grew up in an orphanage and he never knew his mom and dad. And he, he was very angry, had a lot of issues. He, he was told that his parents just gave him up and didn't want him. But um, he had a, I don't know exactly how he had, he died, but he actually went, he actually was pronounced dead. Hmm. And he had this experience when he, when he died, he, he um, wanted to go visit his parents and see what happened to his parents and he met his parents in this experience and his parents talked to him and said, 
we never gave you up. We loved you. We were killed. They were political dissidents in the Soviet Union, and they were murdered by the KGB. And uh, they took the kid, placed him in the orphanage, whatever. Like, but that's we would never give you up. He's, and then so they told him, "This is how you find out. It's not your time to come. When you go back, do the research, whatever. You'll find the, mm. the answers to this." But we loved you, and it healed him. All wow. his anger, everything just left him. All the pain he had been carrying, suffering, deep suffering, and it's just gone in that moment. And anyway, he was he resuscitated and did the research, found out exactly what happened. Wow. And um, he, but he said, I needed to know that. Like, I needed to know that I was not an orphan. Was he ever an orphan? No. He had parents. He loved. But he needed to know that. He had to believe the truth so he could live as not an orphan. And that's yeah. what I believe is actually happening. So when it says people, there are certain people who know that they're accepted by God and they live as children of God. And there are certain people who don't know that. And so they don't live as children of God. But they, what, they, what is it they, they don't know is that they don't know that they're loved, accepted, and chosen. And because they don't know that, they live as if they're not. And they're suffering. And that's real suffering. That's what I believe God is doing in the world. That's what our, our job is, is, is. I believe, to for all those of us who know that we're loved and accepted and chosen, then we get to just declare that. We, by how do you do it? Just through, through doing it. <laughs> They're accepting and loving. And it can probably look different depending on who you're talking to. Totally, totally. It sounds like you're drawing on uh, your book, Free to Love. What's (laughs) the subtitle on that? Um, How Oneness Transcends Marriage and Singleness. So what is the, uh, what's the elevator pitch for that book? Yeah, that's a great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, that sounds like a transcendent book trying to, trying to describe transcendental truths that go beyond, you know, just words. It seems like you're doing something pretty, or trying to do something pretty profound there. Yeah. The idea is, is that in John 17, so when Jesus looks at his, his disciples and he says, I pray that you guys would be one in the same way that the father and I are one. It's a revolutionary statement because and I, the book is about exploring the possibilities within human relationships in ways that cross the gender boundary and other examples too. But like, so up until that point, especially in a Jewish context, the idea of oneness was best demonstrated through the marriage relationship of two becoming one. This is the idea of it. So, so that, so for the first time though, Jesus is now saying, Hey, I pray that you all would experience this with one another. And they weren't married to each other. He's like, I'm praying you experience this dynamic in the same way that I experience it with the divine, with my father. And so I'm praying that, so that, and then of course, there's other passages where he says, in that day, you'll know that my father's in me and I am in you. And it's like this circle. It's like, there's no actual separation here. So you're experiencing the same life um, that's being mirrored back. And of course that takes you to new depths. And so the idea is that when you understand that we come from the same source. And when you understand that that life that literally gives us being in existence is now the same life that gives other people being in existence, that we're actually practically part of the same essence. We're just operating in this realm in different bodies, but we're really the same person, just different angles of the same person. So the, the book seeks to explore that and how um, even through 
the expressions of the gender, things that once divided us, things like in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. Those are things that used, those distinctions used to keep people separate. And for the first time, human history, Jesus saying, no, they don't. In a very segmented society that was all into camps of Jew, Gentile, Jews, Gentile, never. I mean, there's no way you could have any significant relationship. A male, female, no. Um, slave or free, you know. We have those same distinctions. They're labeled a little differently in our society now, but it's the same idea. And But when you understand the essence of reality, then you realize those distinctions aren't actually real. Um, and so they don't prevent us. They're real distinctions, but they're not sep- They're not grounds for... Like they're distinctions for the purpose of union, not for the purpose of separation. Yeah, or like the whatever power differentials in there too is like stripped away. Yeah, totally. It's not that there's not different people or different. There's rich and there's poor. There's different. Genders. There's versions of slave and free and male and female. And, yeah. Uh, but in terms of worth and and power, like it's all just obliterated in Christ. Yeah, and I when it, when it, even the command to love your neighbor as yourself. I used to understand that as being like yourself, but it's not like yourself. It's actually as yourself. So it's like, it's in order for me to really love, that's why it's so profound when you begin to see your, so I have a, somebody was asked this question recently. I listened to, I was a podcast I listened to, and they said, well, how do you define love? And they said, when you see yourself in another, and I'm like, wow, that's really a profound statement. When you see yourself in another, that enables you to love them. So, when you love someone as yourself, what you're saying is that distinction is no longer there between me and you. So as separate selves. So you're saying I actually love another person as myself. At, not like, but actually as. So I'm extending the border of self to include them. And so like, how does God love us? As himself. There's just one self. I'd have to think about that. <laughs> I'd have to, yeah, I'd have to keep that theological scooter train rolling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'd have to. That's a good one, Scott. Um, yeah, I'd have to think about that. Go ahead. Yeah, so that's the idea of the book is just kind of exploring that that sense of oneness, you know, yeah. that transcends the the distinctions and and societal distinctions and all that kind of thing. So. I would I would actually write that book much differently today, and for a lot of reasons because I I'm just in a different place than I was mm. when I first wrote it. So, did, um, and did you start your podcast, the Love Cast, out of that uh-huh. book? And, but you're still doing that today, and is that you're planning on doing that indefinitely? Yeah, you know the idea of the Love Cast podcast is to be to continue that conversation I initially had with the book. Also, um, I'm a, I'm a life coach now, so it's to continue the conversation around some of these concepts. Um, my heart is that people would learn that the conversation I had in the book and also the conversations I'm continuing to have, I really want to help people to be not to be cliche, but free to love so they can, they can actually love, um, and a more, in a, in a more deep and, um, in a way that love the way in such a way that the divine is expressed. Like, cause I really believe that, when human beings love each other, we are being as human as we can be, which means we're being as divine as we can be. We are expressing the essence of who God is when we love one another because God is love. So the more we can love, the more we express this God who has brought all things into existence. Anyone who does not love is not of God. And 
vice versa. Well, that's a weird verse. No, I know, but it, but it's in a context of where the, there is love, there is God. Like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. They're coupled not, with God is love. They're not of God. So when people What's aren't that? loving, I honestly believe they're operating from the false self. Right. They're not operating from their true self. Yeah. So that, I wasn't that obviously. I'm hopefully people know. I'm not saying that the way Scott believes that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be terrible to read yeah. the verse like. <laughs> Oh, the correct way? To the say, Scott way? To say, um, <laughs> to say that they're not of God. You can't say that. Yeah. No, okay. it just means different. It means uh, different. We're meaning and, different things. Yeah, and, and there's clearly there's times I've acted like, well, that wasn't me. You know, it's like we say, well, you know, how do we forgive another person? When someone acts really horrible to us, we say, dude, I know you. That's not yeah, you. And I, I, but the, yeah, there are the verses that talk about uh, the heart is deceitful above There's all things. There's always and, other verses. And, yeah. I, what was the context of that? That was in Jeremiah, I, I think. I know. You go for it. It's Old Testament, bro. You've been given, given a new heart, Scott. Uh, yeah, hope. but even as a Christian, I arguably I've done worse things as a Christian than I've done as Maybe. a non-Christian. Uh, so do I trust myself? Mm, not a whole heck of a lot. Well, you, you're working on that. I mm. hope you work on it. Go when, yeah, not not working on it as wanting to trust, like trusting myself more, but doing things so that I can trust myself more. It's just because I think something to be true doesn't make it true. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking, going back a little bit to, and we're we're landing this plane, but <laughs> I do have one question that I w- I can wait to the end and okay. hope it's brief, but yeah. okay. Um, just that real quick, the idea of like loving your neighbor as yourself, I feel like it goes both ways. Like if, if you can't love yourself, like if you're in a spot where you don't love yourself, how are you going to love your neighbor? Mm -hmm. How are you going to love the people around you? And we, we almost like can read that. Well, I should just, I'll just put it on me. I have read that as, you know, you, if you love yourself the proper way, then you'll love the right people. But or love people the right way, but mm-hmm. a lot of people don't love themselves at all. They, they totally feel agree. that separation. Yeah. So t- it goes the guilty. other way. I totally agree. I, my personal belief is that ev- everything's Thanks, a projection. God. Everything's every, everybody's projecting. So if you feel, I mean, that's why I realized even in my own healing, my dad, when I come back to my dad, my dad felt like he, everything he did was never enough. And so that translated into his religion and how he perched God. He believed his his duties were not enough to please God, so he kind of project projected that onto me. So then I always felt like I'm not doing enough, and I projected that on other people, people closest to me. I would project, "Oh, you're not doing enough. You're not enough, or whatever." Mm-hmm. But then when I started to realize what subverted that was when I remember I had an experience. I think I, think I shared this at the last uh, live podcast that we did. But uh, my Here's dad, hair to cap here. Yeah, <laughs> when, when we did our live podcast, I I had this. One of my deconstruction points was, I mean, just in a very personal way, my dad, you know, in Indian cultures, you know, education is everything. So I was always here. I always heard about, you know, you got to get straight A's. You got to do the best. You got to do, you know, that's a big thing there. And um, I never had gotten straight A's until college. So I go to college, one ticker semester, I get all A's. I'm really proud. I go home, I show my dad. And I'm just like, finally, I have pleased him because this is what he's wanted my whole life. I'm an adult at this point. 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 So, <laughs> well, we good. We keep talking. Okay. It's still going. I don't know what this is. It seems to be in regular intervals. It's weird. So I was. I was like, I'm an adult, and um, 
I show my dad the transcripts and he goes, this is great. You got all A's. He said, but is this a one-time thing <laughs> or is this something you can continue? And I was totally like, there's always a but. It's never enough. There's never. And I was, de- I was really, de- I was really affected. Me. I was really dejected. And I think at that point I was like, I don't think I could even talk. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go. And I, <laughs> I walked out of the house and I left and I was getting ready to get in my car. And I, one of the few times, like, you know, when people say they hear a voice, this was one of them. And I heard it really loud within me. And it was, you, there's no way I can be more pleased with you. And I've always felt this way. Like always been pleased with you. Like it's not because of the A's. I'm, I am totally pleased. And that was a revelation. I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. It just something completely, it affected my relationship with my dad. So my, I was angry. I had a, this terse kind of angry relationship with my dad and that changed it. Cause then I realized like he's never felt what I had just felt in that one moment. Like totally being like, I'm ple like I'm accepted. I'm, I'm pleasing to somebody. And I didn't, for what? Just because you are kind of like what you, when you, you know, if you have children, when you see your baby's born, you go perfect to love them. Yeah. What do they believe? What do they do? Nothing. Yeah. They're they're babbling. It's the Abba. It's just them. They're just existing and it's enough. It's enough. And I felt that in that moment and I, and it changed and I was like, my dad's never felt that. So he couldn't give it to me. So when you start to receive that, then you can give it, then you can extend it. So I had to love me as enough, kind of going back to your point. Like, I didn't know that, and therefore, I dished that out. Whatever you know, you dish out. Mm -hmm. So if you have a hard time loving people, it's probably because you don't realize the the, the love that you are yourself and and you're not connected to that, how that actually feels to be loved. If you're not accepted, you can't accept people. Totally. You can't. How can you? Because... We just project. So if you feel rejected, what do you do? You reject others. If you feel, if you judge yourself, you judge others. If you love yourself, you love others. It's just, it's literally all one big mirror. Um, and that's why it does come back down to that. And I think that's why, why does, why, why is, that's why it's important to believe these things about yourself because how can you love? Then love becomes a law that you cannot keep. I see what I saw with an evangelical Christianity was a group of defeated people who knew they were supposed to love others and never felt like they could. And never got to the root of why that is. Hmm. And uh, it's because they didn't realize they were loved. Just because. <laughs> they never connected to that essence of what that felt like. Just because. And therefore they felt like, well, this is the ideal I need to live up to. Yeah. But I don't even feel it within myself. How could I ever help somebody else feel that way? How could I ever extend that to somebody else? Because I don't even feel it myself. Right. And a lot of people don't even know that's what's going on. No. It's just it, they, they're not accepted so... It's not like a one-to-one, like, I know that I'm not accepted. Therefore, I will not accept others. It just plays out in natural ways. Myriad like ways. It, it, in ways that are, like, just, like, subversive in, in, a, in the worst possible way where you just, you almost don't detect that's what's going on. Hmm. And it's, God, man. Well, the way it played out for me is I had a best friend one time. He goes, he's just an honest, and he was like, dude, he's like, I can never please you. And I, when he said that to me, I was like, <gasps> I heard that before. That's how I used to feel about my dad. That's treating him that way. Oh, wow. And I didn't know that, but the people that were the closest to me is when, is how that I was, you begin to treat people and they get close to you, how you perceive yourself. I was the one that can never do enough. 
So therefore, that's how I made him feel. Not on purpose. Not right. because I wanted to. Just it's kind of what happens. Yeah. So that is why I feel like healing and just internal healing, realizing that is so important. That's, that's what will change the world. I really believe that's what will... I believe that's why Jesus loved so well. Not we can say, yeah, he's the, he's God in the flesh, but what does that do for us? When you, when people say that he's just God in the flesh, it's an excuse to say that's, why? that's for him to do, not for us. <laughs> yeah. We can never do that. How about that he lived in such a way that we? He's an example for us. Though. So one of the reasons I really believe Jesus in his humanity, he he, I believe he had to grow in wisdom and stature, as the you know the Bible talks about. How about that Jesus knew who he was, and that's what enabled him to love other people so well. And I believe that's really what's being offered to us is the same thing. Obviously, we're going to grow. It's, a, it's not like, a, okay, now I know it and everything's great. It's a process where we're right. walking into this and living and realizing this. But that really is, I really do believe he is the standard for us because he is the standard for us that we it's actually, maybe he's like us and maybe we're like him. Maybe, you know, obviously he, I believe that Jesus had a clear understanding of things in a way that we have to, like, I don't believe Jesus had to deconstruct. <laughs> you know, people talk about deconstructing. Right. I don't think Jesus had to deconstruct. I think he, think he got it. He was growing. He had to grow into who he, this realization. Right. But I don't think he was, like, coming out of, like, he wasn't like Paul, who did have a deconstruct. Paul was a zealot, a Jew of Jews, you know, had this very law-based understanding of things. And I think he had to deconstruct. And I think, I he, think was, he probably still was dealing with baggage. Oh, totally. When I think you see it in his writing. I see it in his writings. Yeah. I th- you can see a little bit of baggage. Totally. I it wasn't baggage. like he had that flash and then, oh. then he was perfect. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Which, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to. Well, okay, so yeah, you'd have to, <laughs> you'd have to, you probably have to caveat that a little bit. And, and maybe because you, from that point of view, you might, you might. Caveats. Yeah, you might be able to say, "Well, you know, this this is the part of Paul where we can disagree because he had baggage." Well, maybe yeah. may, maybe there's so room. Be, for I'd be. I don't know. Be, you want to be careful. Be very careful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, man. It's so this is so beautiful, but it's almost like when you when you have I have glimpses of I would consider myself a relatively emotionally healthy person and occasionally <laughs> thank, you, thank you scott um relatively you know we're, we we all have moments well relative to jeff <laughs> okay yeah good luck <laughs> <laughs> i love that but when it's almost like when you have when you have a glimpse of that pure acceptance it's not a card that you get to play and go go waste your life and do whatever you want and regardless of you get to hurt people you get to rape pillage murder steal or whatever lesser versions of those things because you know you're accepted no i think it has the opposite effect when you have a pure acceptance and you feel that i think it changes you and it changes how you see other people in a way that is life-giving and oh, totally. and, and healthy. Yeah, I think I might have mentioned this at the the last uh, live Heretic Happy Hour podcast and what we did, but I, I used to work in prison, so I was a corrections officer. And uh, actually, after about four years of working in prison, I became convinced in the goodness of humanity because of my experience there, which was kind of the opposite thing. I would like, Sounds well, that's perfect. weird. Yeah, yeah, you would think, man, you saw the worst behavior. It's what Jamal does. But he says he, things that sound contradictory, and then you got to let him unpack it. <laughs> 
But when I, when I, the more I talked to these inmates and found out their stories, I saw a common denominator in almost everybody I talked to. No father. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that was one of the main ones. No father. And, but there were, there was tremendous pain because of things that they had experienced. And so a lot of this behavior, which seemed like, you know, they're just living it up, having fun, whatever. This was all expressions of pain. And what to, and didn't know what to do with it. So when they started, and I saw a lot of guys deal with that and, and come into um, an awareness of what was, what was really going on. And they became, they actually changed and became the, they actually kind of came into who they truly were. And some of them will say, it took me coming to prison to figure out or to realize who I actually am because their whole life had been a reaction to this pain. And, um, I just think that if we can get to the core of all people, get to most people haven't even met themselves. You know, it takes a while to get. I punch myself in the face. Well, I think once you meet yourself, you You do that plenty already. You get to a point where you finally meet yourself and you go, wow, that's what God looks like. I know that sounds crazy, but how do we know what God looks like? He's He's not not an overweight white man. Half white man. (laughs) I think, I think, He's not Richard Rohr. Well, when you think definitely, when you think about it, though, (laughs) think about this for a second. Like, how big is God? So, what would it take for God to be seen and expressed? It would take lots of angles, and isn't that what we are—the expressions of the divine on the earth? Isn't that what humanity has always been? That's the whole point: is that we would come and give this invisible visibility. And how do we do that through living out from our truest essence and, and loving and uh, just, yeah, it's like all the tribes, all the tongues, all the different angles that we are represent this being this, this source. I mean, it's just, um, it's not small, you know, it's, it's big. (laughs) It's, It's uh, a yeah. big, big feels like it falls short too. <laughs> I, and I, I like that. I, I would, I would probably just a rung short of applying, you know, or me, I guess I'd have to clarify in my own mind, the, the humanity divine aspect. But I, I definitely agree that, that us being in the image of God, that we are reflecting that and especially as being believers that, that is what we are to reflect yeah so i, I appreciate that and what and oh, what you're saying that's yeah. cool thank you and then my last question man now that i think about it i've got more than one question i'm trying to make it brief but uh yeah so i would uh, i, I kind of want to go back and talk about the whole reformation thing and mm. whether or not the protest the, the reformation d- did any anything uh to to separate themselves or to reform Catholicism, um, you know, indulgences is one thing. Well, but wrapping I, up on something, yeah, light. I think I think we're <laughs> I think we're beyond that. But I I think they did do a, a few things to 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 separate uh, at least accomplish a couple of the ninety five theses. Totally. Uh, right. um, but the one question, um, maybe more important, the uh, when, when we went to the live the live. Uh, podcast you guys did which is probably a year ago now uh some the first t- one yeah on give, the give on hell. yeah 
And you you mentioned that there is no afterlife, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to I, I mentioned that to Keith when he was here a couple weeks ago, and he said yeah, and, and like Zach mentioned earlier, yeah, when you know Jamal says something, you kind of you kind of gotta go a little bit deeper into what he means by that, and so I just I was I was like, what in the heck? does he mean because they were saying they said something i forget which one might have been keith or well, and i think it was um, matthew matthew the whole time he's talking about the how how um it's not eternal hell he's, he's like that's what he's talking about but then he goes oh but there is temporal punishment i'm like hmm okay shoot that's why didn't he start with that distinction in this talk like like you 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 get people you'd get more people on board starting with that distinction so to just make the statement, there's no afterlife, mm-hmm. you immediately start to lose people. But what, what, wh- I mean, what do you mean by there's no afterlife? Yeah, in three minutes. In three minutes. Okay. <laughs> the, the idea. I like how you looked at the, your wrist with no watch on it. <laughs> most most people approach uh, again with evangelicalism and the, the the idea is that okay, the gospel message is about okay, what do you do with the person of Jesus? so that you can know where you go when you die. Do you go to heaven? Do you go to hell? It's, and so the idea of eternal life is this idea concept of that starts when you die and you move into this next realm, heaven, whatever you want to call that. Um, and I, I really don't believe that's the predominant way of how Jesus m- talked about eternal life. So the quality of eternal life is a very present tense. So Jesus, this is eternal life. And then he brings it back to the presence, you know, the present in the sense of knowing God present tense really knowing God and the one who God has sent, yeah, yeah. which is to me incarnation. So like not just to know God, but how do you know God through a, through a human being, through incarnation, through this person. So that is, and then the, and then what is being communicated through that? That is the essence of eternal life. It's, it's a quality of life. It's, it's this uncreated life. Uh, Zoe, the Greek word is used, Zoe, this uncreated divine life. This is the quality and the nature of eternal life, that we begin to live in that. That doesn't start at some point. That just, you you recognize it and you begin to live into it, but that's not something that happens after you die. So um, the whole idea is what happens when you die? Nothing. You just, it's a translation. Doesn't Nothing doesn't, something doesn't just begin when you die. Most people approach death as at the ending of something and the beginning of something. But I don't actually think it's that way. It's still now. It's always going to be now the quality. Like what tomorrow, if you think about it, we can talk about tomorrow, but tomorrow is a figment of our imagination. It's never tomorrow. Like what, yeah, it doesn't exist. yet. doesn't exist. And it never exists. If you think about it, you never get to it. Yeah, I, oh, there's well, a sign. Yeah, free, in, free beer tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Sure, I go to the sure. bar, it says free beer tomorrow. I, sure. I never get free beer. Yeah, sure. but yeah, exactly. So it's the idea is, it's it's you, what you experience is always present tense. So death, and 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 again, like I said earlier in the podcast, I'm fascinated by people who've experienced what I call near death experiences. And one of the, the common theme of people who experience this phenomena is they say, "I, I was conscious. It was it still now." Feels real, like a dream, like a, a very vivid dream. Is, but, but they almost felt like it was. More, yeah. They actually looked back on this life and go, "Well, that was like a dream." But I never lost sense of being in reality. So death, so in the sense of afterlife, like there's something that comes after life is like, there's just life. So sometimes the quality of life is suffering. And sometimes the quality of life is paradise and bliss, heaven, but it's, 
it is um, it is always present. It's always experienced yeah. in the present. Now, now, in, in that when I say that, I don't mean I don't believe that death ends consciousness and death ends life. I don't right. Okay. That. Yeah. That. So that is when the physical body dies. I believe that we still have being. That's the easy place to go to when you hear just that yes. statement. So that's why totally I want you know want to get more out of totally. out of that. Um, and sometimes I say those things for the conversation because a lot of people, yeah. even if I say, no, I believe in life after death, they would just assume that, okay, then eternal life happens after you die. And I really don't want that to be the case. Or they assume I, 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 you mean what is in their think, head. Yes, know. totally. And so you I want to say is like life is not like there is no life after death because there's just life. And actually death is an illusion. I actually don't even think it's real. So hmm. it's it's interesting. It death in the sense of a ceasing of being. Okay, so good. <laughs> so <laughs> the body does go through a transition. I'm thinking like biblical definitions, and it's like, okay, if, if death isn't real, then what did Jesus? I want to clarify. Because yeah. I'm the clarifier. If, if, <laughs> if death is real, then what did Jesus overcome? Like, what did he defeat in the grave? So yeah, that's because uh, I'm I'm like, okay, wh- how does okay, wh- where? where Biblically, what's the definition here that you're trying to achieve? That's what I'm. That's where my mind goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just yeah. So when you say there's no afterlife, it's like, well, okay. What yeah? What do you mean when Paul says that he'd rather you know it's beneficial for him to go mm-hmm. to be with the Lord? Okay, well, that's mm-hmm. a distinct, a, d- a distinct point in time where he's in this realm and then he dies and he's now he's in another realm, mm-hmm. different dimension. Uh, yeah, we'll, realm, we'll dimension. say that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but not realm like a kingdom, or like a ki- like a like a, a, a earthly dominion. But uh, yeah, different dimension where something different than this tangible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that was good bonus content. That is not going to be bonus. It's just going to be on the episode. That was good, Jamal. Thank so, you. so I'm glad. Yeah, so good. I'm glad you think that there is something after. This life makes you happy. <laughs> I'm like my stress level has gone way down. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Ooh. I'm not. A, I'm not like a materialist that just believes that it all ends when when our heart stops and our yeah. brain. You know? There's a guy named Eben Alexander. He's a neurosurgeon, neuroscientist, and he basically says that um, he talks about like um, he, he experienced brain death and he had this vivid experience. Uh, and they they. they the common idea is that the brain creates consciousness. That's what they teach in neuroscience. The brain is a part of the brain that actually creates consciousness. And he had very conscious experiences when he was brain dead. When that, when that specific yes. part of his brain was yes. scientifically known to be brain dead. Absolutely. And they're studying yeah. him for this very reason. Yeah. Um, and so that his, he now postulates post this experience is that, and they're actually con- contemplating this, that the, the brain is a receiver of consciousness. Our bodies are receivers of consciousness. They're not the creators of it. They're receivers. The brain receives it. So Very interesting. Yeah, it's, pa- it's fascinating. I think it just, it, whether yeah. or not the brain is the originator or the receiver or whatever, I think the point is they don't know. We know that we do have consciousness outside sure. of us. I think that's, that's a huge, profound thing that we need to, to think about that, man, it's Isn't not amazing? just our physical yeah. thing, man. It's more, it's, 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 there's a spiritual aspect. We are that, more, you know. actually, there's another account of a N- guy having an NDE. When he, he saw his body, he had this experience, and he comes, he then was told, it's not your time, you got to go back. When he sees his body laying in this hospital bed, he's like, there's no way. 
I can fit into that. Like that was his experience. Like there's no way like he thought he like he was so like, big, big, expansive. <laughs> He's like, I cannot fit in this little body. That's that's <laughs> it's actually pretty cool. Because because that is like we just, none of us have had any drugs besides alcohol. Yeah. But, this is but Jamal so, says it's like every di- every day, I'm sure. Well, Jamal lives in it. I'm sure he's not drunk every day. No. <laughs> Jamal, you can no, but, but even even the idea um, of like when, I, I forget what verse it is, but the idea that when we repent and we turn to the Lord, that, that the angels in heaven rejoice. It's like, why would there be any inkling of any like... Uh, excitement in heaven over what happens in my wee little existence. Because you matter, yeah. And, yeah, and that's that's the profound yeah. part of it is that somehow God, being vast, being cr- the creator of everything, somehow He's pleased with that. Scott Holbert that thing, even Scott Holbert, especially Scott Holbert, even Scott Holbert. No, nope, especially. No, so Come I do. On, just no, start I do, repeating I, it. I do think I do think that each person is able to claim at at any time that they are the most important person in the world. I do think that. That's really cool. I like that. I like that idea. I like that thought. Yeah. Well, at the same time, thinking that they're the most wretched person in the world. So right, there is a dichotomy <laughs> there. Shut up, Scott. Shut they up, are both, Scott. They're both true at the Shut same up, time. Scott. <laughs> Shut because up, Scott. Knowing that you're a wretch. Shut up. Shut up, Scott. You were so good for a second. Knowing that there. you're a wretch. Uh, reminds you that you need a savior, and without that, you can't. I mean, there's Jesus died for nothing, so that's not true. Then, I, yeah, if I agree if, to disagree, okay. <laughs> oh my All right, gosh. Jamal, you had um, you mentioned a little bit. What was the title of the new book, Living to Live? So, this is this is still a <laughs> secret, <laughs> but um, should I, bl- but I'll tell you, I guys. can bleep it out. No, that's okay, that's okay. Um, Blanking L- to live because we're getting to the point where it's it's ready. Uh, living, living for living, living for living, mm-hmm. living for living. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about that? Well, I mean, it, it does. It has to do with moving from an economy of fear and survival to an economy of love, and working, finding our work from that place of not trying to survive, but our work that comes from the place of this internal passion. Like this is our way of extending love to the world. This is how we meet the needs of other people. Um, yeah, and that's kind of what it's about. It's it's just a book about it's 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 really more of a unpacking some of these paradigms of, and it's a lot of it's my own journey in the book. So just things I've went through. And, awesome. Yeah. Living for living, a sparrow's journey into trusting. I like that. <laughs> You're like welcome. That. <laughs> Um, and then you're like, you mentioned you're, you're doing life coaching mm-hmm. and that's all found at Jamal Jabanji.com. Yeah. Do you want to spell that? It's J A M A L J I V as in Victor, A N as in Nancy, J E E.com. So Jamal Jabanji.com. It's a fun name wow. to say that. So I think Jamal Jabanji. Yeah. It's, it's rhythmic. <laughs> it's great. Zach will put that in the show notes for everybody. Oh, of course. Yeah. Is that Italian? No, Indian. <laughs> uh, my dad's from. Is that a joke? 
It, no, actually, a lot of people do think it's Italian. It's, Giovanni. It's, uh, Giovanni. Yeah. yeah. Um, it sounds Italian. No, it's uh, my it's, dad's from. It's uh, more. It's more Italian than Pacini. Shut up, Scott. <laughs> Sorry, Jimmy. But he's Hi, got Jimmy. You. My dad comes from a, a state originally. I mean, he wasn't. He was born in East Africa, but it, it, the the part of India they come from is a state called Gujarat. So it's a Gujarati Indian name. So, in your mom, what's your mom's uh, ethnicity? She's uh, kind of a Heinz fifty seven. She's uh, Caucasian. Um, Probably English and Irish and Scottish and the kind of just a mixture. Oh, okay. So yeah, right. yeah they Irish Catholic. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so well, you know, well, Western her family European. traditionally is not Catholic. Her her family, she's kind of. Um, I mean, they're, they they grew up in West Virginia. Her her not not her. My mom grew up in Ohio, but her relatives were from West Virginia. So they kind of come from like, kind of hillbilly, if you want. To oh call yeah, it. yeah. Kind of just you know a little bit of redneck in there. A little bit, yeah. Half yeah. redneck. My last question is imagine yourself entering the new Jerusalem <laughs> and you're being escorted by somebody living or dead all you get the whole time uh all of history you can pick one person to escort you into the new Jerusalem and they are playing your walk-in music who's the person and what's the music oh my goodness what a question is this this is fantastic <laughs> it's what i do my gosh now the song thing that was that's a that's a, wow let me think about this for a second what a what a question that's a great question the imagery is stunning you think about that it's incredible I mean oh imagine all of all of um, humanity is just listening to your song and there's plenty of people thinking thinking like that song really yeah but there's a lot of people thinking yes mm-hmm and you reserve the right to change this at any moment. <clears throat> This, you know, nobody's going to listen to this. You can say anything right now. Stream of consciousness. Wow. The song thing, I think, is stumping me right now. Um, okay. I love... You're gonna laugh you say me. Celine Dion? Yes. I love Celine Dion. Really? I, I guessed sh- it. I, I have no idea. I can't even name a song by her, but I oh, love Celine Near, Dion. Far, Wherever You Are. Oh, yeah. I, okay, so it would be a song by Celine Dion. Okay. Probably The Power of Love or... Yeah. I um, like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm cheesy That's that a way. first. Um, I know. A lot of people laugh at me because I like Celine Dion, but I do. I'm, I'm not <laughs> laughing. I'm trying not to laugh. Um, Stop her- laughing, The Heretic Jeff. Happy Hour guys, they, they, they don't let me live that down. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I would walk in with Mary Magdalene, shockingly. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yes, you knew I was going to say that. But so will, fans of your show will know that one. Yes. And then people that haven't listened to Heretic Happy Hour, just listen to, pick any episode and you'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. Jamal, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for driving I, out here. Yeah, yeah, I do want to say, Jamal, you do have this, uh, you have like a presence I want to say aura, but I hate using that word because yeah, it just I means not, something. I wouldn't like it either. But you do have this presence of of peace and love and acceptance. Like it, it follows you, and mm. you yeah. smile way too much. I'm meaning it as encouragement. <laughs> Thank you, and I hope that, you receive it as such. Um, that means a lot. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you've got that. And so, uh, real quick again, Heretic Happy Hour Podcast, the Love Cast. Mm-hmm. JamalJavanji.com. The Love Book. Uh, Yeah. 
a love free, free, to, free love. to love and then uh a sparrow's journey a sparrow's, <laughs> a sparrow's journey i like that oh man thanks for coming yeah on. thank you guys i really appreciate it. it's been an honor to be with you guys and thanks for your you know just having the conversation that you're yeah. having thanks for you for you guys doing this podcast you guys do this every week and you know Ish. that's we try. Well, that's that's a feat, you know. Yeah, it's not yeah. easy to do. I know yeah. it takes work, and the conversations are important that you guys are having. And I appreciate you guys for doing this and for having for having me on. Appreciate yeah. it. Beautiful. Um, you know it, and something I don't say enough. Jamal has just sparked this thankfulness spirit. Zach, thank you. Yeah. I'm gonna. Where, what did happen to all my beer, though? We drank it from last. We night. drank it all. No, there's still two more bottles. You didn't like the beer you okay, brought. Okay, I didn't like night. it. You are correct. So it's and still thank in the you fridge. for reminding me. I didn't like the beer I brought. I Anyways, I'm going to isolate you saying, Zach, thank you. And I'm going to play it <sighs> every not, episode. It's way, out, it's way out of context. <laughs> way out of context. <laughs>